Getting a new vehicle can be stressful, but not at Lake Elsinore Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram. That's where surfers go inland to purchase their new and used vehicles. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pact, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earth Pack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. Earthpack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Just live. We believe a life is meant to be lived to its fullest potential. In order to do that, you need to feel at your best, both physically and mentally. We founded this community to share what we found as professional athletes that can help people of all walks of life. So, you can go out and do exactly what you're supposed to do. Just live. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Our guest this week is a former pro surfer from Australia that has been calling San Diego his home for the past... 15, 18 years? I don't know. Actually, 20, 20 years, right? 20. Damn. Damn. And he's still got his Australian accent. Can't get rid of it. I know. That's a <laughs> the majority of his time spent at Reef and Stance, holding multiple senior positions and managing international sales, marketing, and retail. Dude, this guy, he's got experience. He's got a and pretty uh, impressive resume, huh? He's got experience in global go-to-market strategies and lifestyles and retail experience. You're talking to somebody with fucking... A lot of shit going on over here. Oh, he knows also, GTM, huh? He's also co-owner and president of the U.S. operations of the Sauce Suppliers, which does private label, a yep. bunch of uh, custom-made stuff for a bunch of retailers and other companies. I'm loving this. Special and Sauce. And this guy has styled both in and out of the water. Is probably my number one, or he's probably got my number when we've had the jersey on. <laughs> he probably does. I, I We've competed a lot. But... Uh, we won't talk about that. But anyways, wait, wait, still... can we say that again? He had your number. I in think the so. I think if we look back, he probably has my. But he looked better. Yeah. Yeah. He had a better haircut. But now he's uh, <laughs> he's running JS Industries here in America. Woo! And uh, we're super pumped to have Keith Nutty Walker on. Mr. Nutty, thank you, bro. Um, and good job on the last twenty years of. Yeah. Hanging out in America. Man. Wow, like when you, uh, well, hey, Chalky and Jay, thanks so much for having me. And uh, shit, man, when it rolls off the tongue like that, yeah, the 20 years have been, uh, have been super busy. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, I was coming to America in 2002 for a year. I got a contract with uh, Reef America and uh, met a girl at Bell's, actually. She was studying abroad, American girl from Carlsbad, wow. and uh, studying abroad in Australia. And, uh, we met at Bell's and, uh, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, this girl's kind of cool. And uh, I, could, uh, I could spend a few months in, you know, California and stuff. And my, my experience in America back in those days was just 
either Huntington Beach or Newport or I think yeah. Virginia where we had contests and you know surfing lowers but yeah. I've never really been down to San Diego had no idea how fun it is down here and yeah. I mean look the whole west coast of America is a fun spot it's just how you kind of kind of adapt in with the community um, I got really close with the Strother brothers I'm yep. sure you remember yeah. Brett, Brett Chris, Chris Strother yeah, yeah Chris, Chris and Brett so Brett and I are really tight awesome uh, great guy and obviously his sister and his wife you know really close with our family and stuff so well before we get into the, the present time let's yeah. let's go back to Australia right let's go back down under but, but before we start I just want to hear was it, was it the job or the girl that got you here first the girl the girl so that got you to reef. Reef was yeah. had a position which brought you over. Well, no, no, it was a surfing contract. So, okay. oh, yeah, I was riding for Reef in Australia, and um, and then Reef just started to go head to toe. Yep. And I'd lost my major sponsor with um, with Billabong, and then I rode for Hot Butted, but it was a surfboard company after that. Yeah. And then so then it just was you know I was talking with uh, it was Mark Price at the time. Yep. Who's head of Firewire? Yeah, and um, yeah, you know Jen Kong, another girl who she's at Vans. They were all in the reef uh, marketing department, and I was just kind of loitering around, I guess. And then, yeah. uh, I think it was back in the day where I didn't even need a green card to get a contract in. Yeah, and uh, shit, man, the rest was history. And yeah, and then I had that gnarly accident in Hawaii, which then I had to uh, that sidelined me for about. I just signed a three-year contract. And I bit the dust and off the wall, and um, yeah, I, I couldn't. You know, t- took me too long to get back. And then Mark Price goes, "Hey, do you want to come in and do all the sports marketing?" Cool. And it was just an easy transition, and yeah. So well, that's crazy. That's awesome because yeah. you're, you know, it's that's a big leap coming from cool. Australia to here, and and how that transpired is, yeah. is interesting. We'll get to that for sure. But so Australia, yeah, man. So I grew up uh, actually. If you really want to go back, I'm. Uh, from a, a farmer's family, and my dad was a stock and station agent, so that's the guy that uh, auctioneers sheep and cattle at the sale yards. Um, stock and sale? Stock and station. So, stock and station. you know, Hut 21, you know, 29, you know, yeah, selling yeah. Uh, heads of cattle and heads of sheep, and we grew up the farm life, and my dad was a horse trainer. So, uh, wow. Yeah, so we're, definitely. We're, what part of <coughs> Australia? It's a little town called Deniliquin. And it's in uh, New South Wales, um, you know, absolutely nowhere near the coast. Probably <laughs> like, it's be like, like Phoenix, you know, that's how wow. that far. Yeah, that, that far. Like deep, just deep, deep in, in the middle of nowhere, yeah. Wow. Um, so was, it, was, was the cli- uh, brushy, hot, like dry? Yeah, just, just, you know, Australian weather's brutal, man. It's five years of flood or fl- five years of drought. Yeah. And I think that's why it's been a nation for so many years that settlers have found it hard to just you know, America, you're pretty guaranteed every year it's going to be the same. Yeah, there it's... Yeah, unless you get the El Nino and all that kind of stuff. But there, Australia, I mean, right now, going through some of the worst rains on the east coast of Australian history, like flooding towns and... Yeah, a few years ago, it was the worst fires they've ever had in entire history. And it's just... But that's the history of Australia. It's just... And that's why, I guess, there's so much respect for Native Australians, the Indigenous people there. 60,000 years, you know, they've lived there and just had to work it out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, us uh, white asses come in there and just think we know what's going on. And it's just, it's just been, you know, yeah, it's a tough place to grow up. So grew up there, then uh, moved down near Torquay, but inland as well, a place called Ballarat. And then when I was 12 years old, we moved to the Gold Coast. So uh-huh. really started surfing late, but mum and dad... Was it job relocation or just a change of... Yeah, mum and dad then bought a hotel on the beach. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And rented rooms, and then, mate, I just then I had sand in my toes every day, and it just, you know, what a change of lifestyle. Yeah, from yeah. Like selling, raising yeah. cattle, a farm. Yeah. Just, so did he do well doing that? Like, no, that was hard yards. It was actually my mom that said, you know, screw this life. We're gonna fucking go to the coast and do it right because we'd holiday up there you know god bless her yeah god bless mom <laughs> yeah. and uh you know the old boy was talking to the guy managing the one of the hotels was saying it one day and he's like how good's this life he goes yeah we just poke around you know clean the pool go over the beach in the day and you know the rooms are booked up 24 7 so that's how mum and dad got in and then obviously they became very successful in uh when the boom came they bought um buildings off plan and they built them and then you know wow. at one stage their mom and dad had about three high-rises are you fucking yeah. kidding me so it was it, it, but it was a life that i didn't really experience because i was on tour at the time yeah. yeah but every time i'd come home i'm like oh mom dad's like yeah we got this place here and there and so you know i take hats off probably to my mom too a lot you know she was definitely the the driver the entrepreneur yeah and dad was just the worker you know um did your dad go to school or nah, no nah. did your mom uh, your mum was a legal secretary, so she was in there obviously working in, a, they call them solicitor's office, which is a lawyer's office, and she was there, you know, back in the day when everything had to be typed before email yeah. and sent in letters, so mum was definitely the sharp one, for sure. And you have siblings? I do, I have, uh, so my older sister, which you would, uh, I'm in business with her with the source suppliers, and uh, she married uh, Brendan Margus and Margot. Uh, no way! Yeah, so they have uh, two kids. Yep. Uh, Lucy and Micah and Micah was the uh, Australian you know he's trying to be a pro surfer he's 21 yeah. Yeah. you know and we had Margot on the podcast oh you did yeah. I didn't know that yeah. fucking sick yeah, yeah. so yeah. Margot is my uh, my brother-in-law sick um, and uh, yeah you know unfortunately he and my sister parted ways but you know they're very good parents to their, their kids and yeah, um, yeah man it's uh, surfing's kind of ingrained in the blood now in the yeah. family Definitely. So, so twelve year old, you 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 roll up Gold Coast. Have you surfed prior to going to the Gold Coast? Nah, I got my first board was a Martin Potter. If you remember the yellow and green, yeah, building spray. Yeah, it's a town and country. Uh, bought it at town and country from Australian pro server LB Ross. If you look, LB LB Ross, legend. Yeah. And uh, so the old man got me a surfboard and did. I, I was hooked, man. I just 
you know, warm. We, we have an eight month summer, nearly 10 months. You can yeah. have 40s for 10 months. It's crazy. It's hot. And then the air I gets a little chilly, the water gets. Yeah. You, yeah. you would never, you'd wear a three. Coming from now 20 years in California, oh. you're like, oh, it was t- pretty much 12 months of summer, but yeah, I can maybe dip down. Yeah. Yeah, here you, you get like, it's. 10 months of... You barely winter. get summer. Yeah, 10 yeah. months of And then winter. in your summer, you'll get a cold current through oh. and you've got to put a 4.3 back on again. So... Yeah. The, the, the water lately has been so schizophrenic. Yes. It's been... It's been... <laughs> yeah, it's hard we to navigate. We were trunking at Father's Day yeah. and then we're in 4.3s yesterday. Yeah. You're usually yeah. a full suit all year round in your car and then this time of year, you're like, okay, long arm spring and a jacket. You never know. Trunk, you never know what, yeah. you know, what you're going to be throwing on. Well, you boys in Huntington get it really cold. I remember, like, I went up there one day and there was a, a current change or whatever. Like, yeah, we think it's warm too. Like, it's not too bad, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, but you guys get way war- warmer, like from from trestles or St. Clemente down. down. Yeah, I feel like it, it warms up quite a bit. It does. Yeah, yeah. It does. every hundred miles it, it changes. Like, if you were to go up to Malibu, it w- it's never as warm as Huntington. Yeah, and vice versa. You go up and it's it just gets colder from yeah. north. Yeah, yeah. So so. When you first moved to the to the uh, Gold Coast, yeah. now did you have any idea of what surfing was or no, some no, magazines I, or like yeah, nothing? I you know what I just it's all who you surround yourself with, and I had two three mates at school, um, and you know Australia's a small place, but Matt Rogers, who is one of Australia's most iconic football players, was my best mate at school. Wow. He got me in to surfing, and he wow. was a really good surfer. He's a really good football player. Um, and even at the time, so they were diehards every day and I just followed the pack, right? Yeah, so yeah. we all, they'd ride their bikes to my house cause you know, we were lucky we were closest to the beach and you know, you just half the time you had no idea what I was doing, yeah. but just out there and you just eventually clicks, right? Yeah. And then once you get that white water takeoff where it reforms into a green face, you're in. Yeah. And I'll never forget the day it was at a beach called, in broad beach called King Tide. And uh, yeah, I got that little wave and I remember just being, there was no other better feeling. I know you bought Albie Ross's board, but did you like learn on somebody else's or like borrowed boards before? No, it, look, the Albie Ross board, if I think of it now, it was a 6.0, it was like 19 wide by yeah. two and a half. So perfect for a, a beginner. beginner. Yeah. <laughs> what, 80 pounds or yeah. 60, however yeah. what I weighed. So every wave I could get up, you know, and... and um, and I think that's the key thing in surfing is if, you know, it's just, you know, you can luck out, but if you get the right equipment and have some of the right knowledge, you can learn it a lot quicker than someone for sure who's just yeah. got the wrong equipment and doing the wrong things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's everybody's first few boards or, you know, it's rare somebody's going to get something right for them. And even, you know, and it's also ability and, and catching waves sure. is, is everything. So yeah. if, you're, if you're not catching waves, you're not having fun. You know, you know. No. But you know, as soon as you got to start gliding from white water to open face, then you're like, that's the game changer. That's right so, there. Yeah, yeah, you're trimming, and now you're like, okay, now how do I turn? Yep. You know. Yeah, so, and and all those little things just kind of, and I just think it's just like I've got a really, it was where we positioned, and I just did it every day. You yeah. know, and and you just if your determination, and I was a competitive kid, and you know I played a lot of football and cricket growing up. Yeah. And, did that determination just segue into surfing and then everything else became second you know I stopped playing cricket I stopped playing football just consumed yeah. I just surfed all day and it used to piss my dad off because he's like you going to training today I'm like nah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, the, the, and, the, and the waves like are so goddamn good there you got, so good like 
it's good all the time. I mean, yeah, you get you know flat spells or whatever, but it's warm and there's waves yeah. pretty much all the time. Well, yeah, he's he's one of the things after 20 years in America. Um, the difference between America and Australia is in America here, and especially here in Oceanside and North County, San Diego, we get really good waves yeah. and a lot. We just don't get great waves, yeah. Yeah. and that's the difference between Australia. Is there's some horrible days in Australia? You get those nor'easters coming in, the blue bottles. You, yeah. you just that's it. Want to shoot yourself in the head? Yeah. And they can come for a couple of days, but then when all the stars align, the great waves it's are great. incredible. Yeah. Like even some of those beach breaks from Burley to South Stradbroke, yeah. you can go out there and get absolutely slotted in pits yeah. on these beach breaks where, you know, you just yeah. like it's the, it's the, the energy. Wow yeah, the energy of the waves, like the, the swells are generated a lot closer. They don't have to travel three thousand miles, two thousand miles to get here. Here you get the long intervals. Yeah. It's a little slower. Yeah, we get power when we get those hurricanes and stuff, but. There, I just remember, like, it was so punchy. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the energy of the waves, and the, and the, it was just fun. Like, even when, it, like you said, if it wasn't going off, like, clean faces or whatever, you still have yeah. power and yeah. fun. I mean, we've watched too many videos. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stradbroke and Durambaugh and all those places that... Yeah. I mean, it's South, fucking dreamy. Yeah. Golden yeah. sand beaches. Yeah. South Stradbroke is probably... It doesn't get enough credit. Um, it's 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 a little fickle because it's tidal and it has to be offshore. Yeah. Um, and it's a little. It's really far away. So Coolangatta is the surf mecca, right? Yeah. Snapper, Kira. The points. Yeah. yeah. The points. You know, Burley's in the middle there, and Burley's definitely uh, where I grew up and, and surfed a lot. But to go all the way up to South Stradbroke, it, it's not. It's a mission. It's a mission, right? Yeah. So a lot of the people where I was from, say Main Beach. It was our local spot, you know, yeah. and we were lucky enough, mum and dad lived on the river as well. So I would jet ski there every day. And, you know, looking back at it now, I just, you know, I pinch, I talked to my son, you know, about like how good dad had it, you know, yeah. like it was incredible. <laughs> um, and I think another thing just to add too is all of our beach breaks in Australia and probably similar to like France, the sandbars move a lot. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of moving sandbars, whereas, you know, since I've been here 20 years from say, Oceanside to Del Mar, there's not a lot of movement in the sand. Yeah. The sand. And whether it's hard rock underneath, or I'm not quite sure, but we would, you know, you'd wake up one morning and somebody go, dude, there's a, there's a sandbar at First Avenue, Surfing's Paradise. You'd go, you'd get, get down there. Yeah. And you'd just be like, oh my God, there's this high tide shorey that's just grinding. And then you'd come back after swell and be gone. Yeah. You know, and you just would be on it. One thing about your surfer, city planning or whatever they groom they dredge to make waves better right that that's a good point so yeah. growing up and this is um they don't lo- do that here well snapper rocks was <laughs> yeah. like Waimea bay when i grew up it was a longboard wave it was never that hollow yeah it was a big trench in there so you know for the whole surf industry in america to really understand that's a new wave yeah it's always been there but it's never been consistent yeah. like what it is today because of the sand yeah, we never, I never, like, until they turned it into yeah. what it is, like, it was, yeah, it was no man's land, like, yeah, nothing. And, we, and Kira only broke shit like a handful of days a year. So really, yeah. even though Cooling Gat is the mecca today, back in the day, it was retirement area, um, lower, lower income housing, yeah. um, and the waves would get good, like in Rabbit's era and stuff, but it was really all D-bar, yeah. um, you know, J-Fields from, like, Finglehead and all that kind of stuff, but... It was a big hole there until yeah. they started dredging. So incredible. So you lived on the beach in the... Ho- Did you guys live in that hotel? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. And here's another good story. So 
so one of mum and dad's hotels, and this was when I was in my 20s, and, um, you know, I was coming back and from on tour and stuff, and then there was a little kid lived across the street from us, and he used to always, you know, his parents were, uh, his mother was a dealer at the casino, so she'd go to work every night at 8.30, and he was just a lawless kid running out on the streets. He would climb our building's walls to get over and be swimming in our pool playing tennis and it's Paul Fisher. Fisher no way, dude. DJ. How epic. Yeah, so he's like, he and I are like, he's like my little brother. Yeah. And, you know, grew up together and just, you know, he, he lived in South Africa. He was born in Australia, lived in South Africa for 10 years, then came back. So And sick. we lived side by side in the same street for, I don't know, a couple of years, but it was when he was, you know, 10 years old yeah. and he started surfing and, and I mean, that's a whole nother podcast on Fisher. Totally yeah. Right. But, my old man used to chase him out of that, you know, and he'd turn Get around out of and here. flip the bird at my old man. And, oh, dude. <laughs> I used yeah. to have to sit him down and go, dude, you cannot jump the fence. You cannot get in. My old man's going to lose his shit, dude. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so yeah. One degree of separation, huh? You yeah. Know? Like just how everything unravels. And it's like, yeah, look at the little kid. And, yeah. And now he's just the, what, one of the world's biggest DJs. Like just so a phenomenon. Like, Plus an entrepreneur. Oh, right? like, yeah. Always, he was destined for stardom. It's just a matter of when it, you know, yeah. when it worked out for him. He's an Emmy award-winning DJ. Yeah, yeah. Like it's heavy. That's kind of you, you can't. I didn't know that was a category. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, But you know, they 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 get the accolades. They you know, obviously, you know, it's a it's a profession that is like. What, what's the song called? Losing it. Losing it. <laughs> Losing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to Nutty. How'd you get Nutty? Uh, that's a good story too. So, I was uh, I was sponsored by Oakley as a kid, and uh, okay. Bef- before we get there, sorry, I, I keep <laughs> jumping around, but, but I like to, to like okay, Matt Rogers. Yeah, he was a good surfer, great surfer, and and they were already surfing before you, right? So you yeah. had to catch up. You had to catch up. Yeah, had to catch up, and uh, so I guess through the competitive era. Um, joined North End Board Riders, which nice. is legendary club, and that's the club from the northern end of the Gold Coast. So back in the day, like iconic surfers like uh, Michael Mungaberry, uh, Dominic Zappa Wybrow, Guy Amarod. Wow. Uh, this was just the like north end of the Gold Coast. Yeah. Uh, Wayne McEwen, and then even years, you know, Margot joined it. Guy Walker, those guys came from Byron Bay and came up there. But David Rastovich was founded in that club. Wow. Um, so once you got in there and you mixed with the big boy, well, just yeah. you, you had visibility. You saw yeah. surfing, not just in your age group. And that's one thing that's really, really good with the board riders now starting in America. Yeah, I wanted to mix to with touch everyone. On that. You get to see surfing, yeah. you see power. You see technique, and it's yeah. not just under 14s versus under 14s. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you get to see that lineage, and the guys were, you know, that one peer group said, "Oh, these guys, even though they, they may be in their like 40s or 50s, oh, you should have seen them back in the day." Yeah, yeah. you know, and then that kind of gets passed down, and the respect level. I can just imagine which, the camaraderie yeah. of, of what you guys built over the decades. It, it, of, was, it was an obsession from like 14 to 18. We were a part of North End Board Riders, and it, honestly, man, you were groomed. I mean, if you had talent, you were groomed by the older guys that were really good. Yeah. Um, Vince Lauder was, uh, he was the head marketing guy at Billabong back in the day in Australia. So that's where I got my sponsorship from Billabong, was out of the board riding club. Just, yeah. It was everything to us. Yeah. It was absolutely everything, and it wasn't connected to school. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're a 
dipshit kid at school, didn't matter. Yeah. You, you're in the board riding club. If you even busted out of school, because in Australia, a lot of kids at 15 were going and starting trades. They were, you know, builders, plumbers, electricians, brickies, laborers, and by yeah. 21, they were earning 100 and something grand a year and buying houses. Yeah. And, you know, like, so the whole university thing, you know, which is very big here in America, and, you know, it's a business, let's yeah. be honest. Going to college, they Way suck business. a lot of money yeah. from you. So and much money. Is yeah. it going to pay off? Yeah. Well, you, it does, but yeah. there's a lot of people who doesn't. But yeah, these board riding clubs, mate. So, you know, like you guys working in the industry, you were connected to a board riding club. Yeah. yeah. And you were there as well. And you were, you would just scope out talent. And then from there, I just started competing in the club. And then we'd have uh, inter club contests. So the big one is the Kira Teams Challenge. And that's for Snapper Rocks board riders, you know, Kira board riders. But clubs all over Australia, even from Western Australia, will come to this event. And you have like your top eight surfers from your club and you all have heats and then, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. So add up the points and see who's dominating. Yeah. yeah. And look, Snapper Rocks Board Riders was just that was the club, man. Like like as good as we were and we were at our, on our best day we could we could match it with them, but they were just so good. And they had the guys like, you know, Jay Phillips, Will Lewis, you know, uh, Joel Parkinson was in there. Yeah. Um, just just to name there was just you know Darren Hanley was a part of the club like Shane Bevan they were just flawless yeah, every Bevan. time um, Snapper Rocks boy, if you even they never had a bad day never never it's like it's like San Clemente and, and yes. Santa Cruz and so yeah San Clemente Santa Cruz and Huntington it's like okay who's on that day but like yeah all like San Clemente, you're like, holy crap. You look I mean, at the lineup, you're like, that's all-star. And you look yeah. at Santa Cruz, you're like, dude, that's all-star. You look at Huntington, and it's a little more like blue-collar working class, like, but we have all-stars. Yeah. It just depends on... Sure. Just like in any meet, who's there? And they, they were the clubs that you were first exposed to, like, legends. And, and yeah. for instance, i never forget, there was a contest in Wollongong, and two clubs that stand out, like North Narrabeen Board Riders... Uh, and uh, Merriweather board riders. So I never forget going down as tag team and Merriweather board riders had Luke Egan, Nicky Wood, Chad Edser, Matt Hoy, and Marcus Babant. And and it, I was just like, how do we beat that? Yeah. I was just like, oh, these guys were on tour, but they were coming home and surfing for their club. Yeah. So, and I get chills even thinking about it yeah. now. And I mean, <laughs> we had our, it was just you know North yeah. Narrabeen too. Like had Chris Davidson, Hedgie. Nathan Webster, the Fitzgerald brothers, you know, like, yeah. oh, freaking gnarly. It's, it's so cool to hear all those stories and how important the Board Riders Club, not only, like, to the culture, but all the people that were part of it, all the surfers. Yeah, the upbringing and how people took it serious and their pride. And That's why Australia, like, town. I mean, for the longest fucking time, you guys have dominated, you know, competition. And I think it's just because you're exposed to that experience, right? Yeah. But you also got to remember, border riding club isn't always about being the best and winning, because you got to take your hats off to the guys that just—it's their getaway. They yeah. just want it. It's their the, club. It's their club. Yeah. yeah, they love having a beer on the beach. Yeah, uh, cooking the barbie, putting the tents up, just yeah. being like administrative to the club. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that in America we do the West Coast board riding things, which is great. But it's a little bit about who's making the team yeah. and it shouldn't just be about that. It should be community. the team is the community, yeah, yeah. how you get behind it, how you're supporting the, you know, you know, we were always in our Carlsbad board riders talking about, uh, you know, Carlsbad high school and who's developing through that. Or, yeah. you know, if, if someone's down out in their luck, how do we support them and all that kind of stuff that is more important than 
obviously the 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 cheering moments where yeah. you won and you know they're equally yeah. important. Yeah. So yeah. is Nutty on Carlsbad or Oceanside? Carlsbad. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. your flag there. I, my when I first moved here, you know, as I said, I'm close with uh, the Struthers, and my wife went to Carlsbad High School. We live in Carlsbad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Oceanside board riders and all the crew from Oceanside is super cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I surf here every day, so um, you know, and hats off to Oceanside, man. They they they're doing really really good. Like yeah. I know uh, Chris Abad and Chewy Rayner and uh, you know who else is there? The Height Brothers. Um, Jamie Stone Stoney yeah. legend uh, they're all like you know they, and there's a young there's a young Oceanside crew there's a lot of uh, Venezuelan dudes that live here as well yeah. they're absolutely ripped you know so yeah. I think Oceanside are in a really really healthy spot for sure yeah. was there any other uh, outside the juniors like so you did the the club events mm-hmm. you know we're talking you know 14 to 18 yeah, yeah. and then and yeah, then like, ju- like nationals we yeah. have nationals so I won uh, probably the I was the Queensland champion, under eighteen champion. Um, I never won an Australian title, um, but you know Gold Coast in Queensland, which I look back now, I'm pretty proud of because that was like the surfing. You know Sydney was very surfing historical, yeah. but we just knew we had better waves in Queensland, and you'll see a lot of Sydney surfers that actually live in. Uh, oh, for sure, on the Gold Coast. A lot of people relocate. Yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean Sydney area is so beautiful, and it's a, you know the. The, the area, the topography, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, killer little beaches and headlands. It's just beautiful. Yeah. But, but it's not tropical. No. Um, and it gets, it gets, yeah, it's a different, but Sydney was where our industry was. So sure. even in my era, I just have to go and stay down in Sydney a lot. And, you know, there was always, the industry was where it was yeah. happening. Um, Billabong was the only company that was really up on the Gold Coast. A lot of them were from Torquay, but Sydney was the hub of commerce, right? Where yeah. all the business was done. Uh, but probably my biggest break was at 19 when I won I won a QS in France and um, yeah I was actually working at the time you know my mum and dad because they're from the bush they were like hey you need a job you know so I was kind of like I was an apprentice chef and always had apprentice chef yeah I did a chef's apprenticeship so I left school at uh, 16 and did a chef's apprenticeship so I could make money and surfing the day so all yeah. my mates were competing and stuff and i i had to hold down a 40 hour week job uh and it was my so life you, sorry to interrupt but you weren't on the path of being a pro surfer i internally wanted to be but my yeah. mom and dad had different uh yeah. that's different, awesome though. yeah they and, instilled some work ethic into you and just the the cost too like australia is not very centrally located on the globe as yeah. far as competing <laughs> at, at a at a reasonable cost you know like it's expensive. Yeah. Get in and out of there. We're pretty far removed. So Shit. a if, lot of... Going know. back to it, like when you were younger, when did you start doing competition? So, I mean, competing at, you know, I think I was competing from the first year I started surfing. Like, I think it was like Christian board riders and North End board riders. But then when it was like, there was a financial of winning money, it was the Billabong used to have a killer pro junior series in Australia. I don't know. Did you ever do? No. Anyway, but they were at like Bells. They were in really good locations. And... I did okay. I got a I got a fifth at Bells one year, and then you know at Burley I had a quarterfinal, and so, but definitely that level above. I wasn't like even no. contemplating that, and um, it was my last year to be a pro junior, and there were two events which always really it was the Lackanau Pro Junior and the Hossigore Pro Junior, and I remember looking at a schedule and I'm like, hey, it's just in my head. I'm like, hey, I saved up enough money from working, so I didn't need mum and dad's help. 
And I was like, I'm going to go over there for a month and do the two pro juniors. And then there was a QS there as well. And uh, my sister was dating Margot at the time. And he'd just been there. He's like, dude, you'll love France. It's, yeah. yeah. Get over there, man. Yeah. It's so good. Um, so I went over and did the pro juniors. And I had, I had two quarterfinals in that. But then I got into the QS and it was just, you know, and let, and it was one of the days where everything just came together and uh, I beat Shane Doreen and Shane Lopez in the final. And, uh, I was 19, dude. I, I yeah. was just like, and I remember I called my dad and he goes, when are you coming home? I'm like, ah, not for a while, mate. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm hanging out now. I got, I got enough, enough scratch to stay here for another month. Yeah. So going back to Margot and that was like in his prime time right like just about to be prime I mean, Margo Margo is about two years older than me so he would have been 21 but he just started doing all the Jack McCoy movies yeah. and yeah. he and Oki were just like he's a know. fucking superstar yeah, right yeah. yeah. Like, Margo was a fucking superstar yeah. of the he was, was like the 90s a, yeah I mean to I me, mean, one of the first Australian like free surfers like, yeah. you know because of the movies and yeah. because of Billabong and like hey like you know you're not doing the not grinding the tour really and you fucking rip and everything in charge and you're fucking you know yeah, yeah. Like you're our guy it was special and Margo was a guy too that wasn't didn't have a big he was a little unknown which I think was, that's what made him real special I think he yeah. he rode for Rip Curl and Mad Dog and um, he was a bit of a late bloomer mm. and you know I think at, at around early 20s where a lot of guys I think if you look at the Frost Brothers or you know, the Chad answers and probably guys around his age group already winning and had accolades behind them, whereas Margot didn't. Yeah. And then he, you know, he got a billabong sticker slapped on his board and went to Nalu and was pulling the backside tubes, no hands. And everyone's like, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. And I think he just had a really good composure about him from, um, you know, Great Area in Byron Bay there. And, and uh, I mean, everyone loves Margot. He's just, For sure. And when, how, at what age did he hook up with your, your sister? Um, and Dave? Yeah, so I was a little personal, Lars. <laughs> well, I'm just like wondering, like, okay, so he's 19. And I'm just trying to get a timeline, bro. <laughs> yeah, like I was 19, he was 21. So it would have been around that time. Yeah. And um, and that that honestly made it a little bit harder too because my parents were like, well, why aren't you like your brother-in-law? And I was like, there's no one in the fucking world uh, like him. He, you know, how, like how hard is that to explain it was just well the thing of it is dad is uh yeah. he rips really hard and he's got some natural talent i'm working on that yeah dad. You know, nobody knows who the fuck i am yeah. and, and honestly too even even when i had that success in france i still didn't believe it myself yeah. you know what i mean and i look back at it now like the importance of having people in your corner and having people pumping you up because i think there's there's ethic, work ethic, and talent. I think work ethic will always outdo talent alone. Yeah. Yes, they're great together. Yeah. If you can combine them together, you will sure. go a million miles. But case in point, late night. A tactician, <laughs> somebody that manages time All and waves in a, in a 20 minute. Uh, yeah, you're going to win if you could manage that 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. All talent, no uh, yeah. work ethic over here. Great, sir. <laughs> yeah. 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 I paddle out. I'm like, dude, this guy just got two eights, and that's why I paddle out there. And then there's no eights, it's twos, and then the eights are down the beach. I'm like, what happened? I've just fallen the guy in front of me. So you <laughs> saved up money to go to France, and you did well. Yeah. I mean, I was still sponsored by Billabong, but there was no finances involved. And, and, and I was cool with that. I mean, I, as I said, I was working 40 hours a week in a kitchen. Damn. But I was still surfing every day, yeah. you know, like, and I didn't start work till like three o'clock. And, you know, if you, if you grew up on the Gold Coast, it's all about early morning, you yeah. know, 
Um, so I'd surf all the time and I was just obsessed. I had this inner, like, it didn't matter who was, you know, I didn't have to explain to anyone but myself, you yeah. know? Um, so you were riding for Billabong. Who, what boards were you riding then? Uh, Stuart surfboards um, on the Gold Coast. So not the Stuart like here in America. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think I was, yeah, I was riding for Reef, uh, Reef, Oakley and Billabong and, you know, just getting free stuff. Yeah. What were you, were you doing photo incentives and travel All that funds? kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. You know, like, yeah. um, but it wasn't until I obviously had that success then I came back and uh, Billabong gave me, a, you know, a financial con- contract and, you know, and thinking that it would be a cakewalk after that, it just, I, I jumped on tour and, you know, it's really hard. Yeah. It was, it was... Um, You're talking QS. Oh, it's a grind, man. Yeah. You a know? lot of bad wave locations and a lot of traveling... Just a lot of unknown. Yeah. You know, I remember uh, I remember I went to France and it was in the middle of July and I was wearing board shorts and my last place is amazing. I flew home, as I said, got, got the deal from Billabong and then flew back to Portugal with a spring suit. I didn't know Portugal was cold. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's right no, there. I had no idea. And I've been yeah. there, I'm like, and, and, and just, just the knowledge of, and then I was taking like six tens and six fives in my board bags and never riding them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was just like, you know, I just, I just yeah. had to work it out. So there was probably a couple of wasted, not wasted, but a couple of learning uh, periods there where if someone had to just say, hey mate, you don't need, you need a wetsuit there and you don't need a big board, you yeah. know, like, um, but yeah, look, look, I look back at my professional surfing career and it's, it's guided me to where I'm at today. And, um, and look, the fact of the matter, I just wasn't good enough. You know, I finished 40th in the world a couple of times in the QS and oh, that was really fucking good, but I just yeah. wasn't good enough. Yeah. And I'm open to say that today. Yeah. There were so many guys back home that were just that much better. And, you know, and then you had young, you know, had young Mick Fanning and Parker. Those guys were just phenomenal. Nipping yeah. at your heels. Oh, dude, I was, I, they were just at a different level. And, um, you know, and I think uh, competing on that tour, you know, they had great support. And, you know, just to see them to what they've achieved today, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Just, just amazing. Well, yeah. it's, it's a bummer. And, and also, like, in retrospect, when you look at people that are successful in the surf world competitively, yeah. right? Like, they're groomed from an early age, pretty much. Understand. Like, you have to be groomed and naturally gifted to fucking do and, and have the drive like these guys sacrifice a ton yeah you know yeah you're doing something you love but most people oh you're a surfer you're a good you no like it's a job you like, gotta have I a mean, mentality you, to you gotta treat it like a job but you also gotta want it like yeah you know it's a there's a lot that goes into it on the on the back end that people don't like yeah natural talent well, he's just good it's like well you know how many hours is that guy like watching and critiquing his own footage and you know what kind of t- communicating with the shape you know like a lot of guys have that mentality yeah. you know yeah and then the whole training thing like oh, i think yeah. pro servers were done at 28 when when i was i think now they're not even wow. in their prime right um so <laughs> was, you know and there there was a lot of partying you know the life uh, the life of just you know it was amazing it was in, in, in the summer in the you know summer. Yeah. I, I mean i was always good like before my heats and stuff i never you know but shit when I, if i'd lost party on yeah i was on you know wait how do you know late night i lost early <laughs> <laughs> late night was on it early uh when, when's connor's go to sunday and i'm out on thursday <laughs> shit i got three extra days of partying. all right vacation starts now <laughs> yeah, yeah so but, but i mean you were just introduced to like um you know different cultures and Australia is so 
far from everywhere, right? So you really, being Australian at a young age, that's all you knew, you know? You didn't know about America, you didn't know about Europe, you know, and, you know, Brazil, and you're exposed to it, and then obviously, you know, you'd see, you know, parties and good-looking women, it was really hard to, like, kind of focus it, yeah. and, you know? Um, but if I look back at it now, you know, like, would I change anything? No, because I probably wouldn't be where I'm at today. For sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, you always say as you get older, you get wiser, you would have made different choices, but would you have, or would you have been stoked to? No, you, you make yeah. those choices, and... Good or bad, it's it's brought you to this point. Sure, you know? so, traveling the world teaches you so, so much. much. Like, oh, yeah, so much, and just things of you know language barriers, and you know Australians are hard enough to understand as it is. What? <laughs> <laughs> Let alone uh, yeah. Spanish and French and Portuguese in there, and yeah. and then you know like just trying to get on planes and trains and automobiles and connecting the dots, and then getting yeah, no cell phones, <sighs> no no. No GPS, uh, no nothing. Yeah. Like you're getting a car and a freaking map. Yeah. Like, did you have a travel buddy? I did, and God bless. You know, the best human was Kai Fitzgerald. The whole Fitzgerald family wow. were like, it was great in the end because I rode for Billabong and and uh, I started traveling with Kai Fitz, who's hot buddy. You know, Dad is Terry Fitz, and you know the Fitzgeralds were just like, Legends. yeah. And t- Terry was like a dad to me, and 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 you know. Me and Joel had our challenges, obviously, and, and Joel was figuring himself. Joel was another incredible free surfer. Like, in, I think yeah. there was Frankie Oberholzer who kind of like put it on the map. Then there was Margot Pancho Sullivan, and I think Joel Fitzgerald equally has to have credit there too. Like what he did at Tahiti, like that. The family, the Fitzgerald family, found like Manoa Drulay. They kind of were. If you really look back at you know, Bataya David and all that kind of stuff, that was from Terry Fitzgerald. Wow. Of going to Tahiti and finding those. So, um, you know, and I just, you know, seeing Kai and Joel in um, Big Waves, man, they were just Turtles. freaks. Yeah. Freaks. So, and, you know, I was petrified. Just be petrified. Um, but, yeah, traveling with the Fitzgeralds, me and Kai, like I was best man at Kai's wedding. Um, and he is, I learned so much from him. He's just a really good guy and a, and a veteran in the Australian industry too. And, um, yeah, man, I like, if I didn't have Fitzy, it would have been a lot harder for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's always good to have like good traveling group and peers and who you surround yourself with, oh, you always. know, and even to this day in business and anything else you do, you know, sure. I got, I, I got to work with this guy over here. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? You guys uh, get six packs from laughing all day. <laughs> do you remember, um. Getting photos in the mags and stuff. Yeah, your, what's your first ma- yeah mag shots are always it's like the contest results, but like that photo in the mag is and video parts. Like yeah, yeah print was really important back yeah. in our day. Like print was everything. Um, I think probably um, probably Billabong and reef ads. That was where it was just like wow, you know, like um, you know, and as mentioned, for you, there was people like that, that you know. Nothing to Margot. Margot was just wrecking. Yeah, we'd go anywhere with Margot and he'd just be getting spreads and covers. Oh, and just people like recognize me, get a photo with you. And we lived in a, you know, a big Japanese tourist town. Yeah. A lot of Japanese surfers would come to the Gold Coast and they were just infatuated by stars, you know, and Margot was a star. So look, whatever recognition I got, it was, it was one hundredth of what he had. Yeah. And I was just surrounded all the time, you know, and, um, but you know, none of that mattered. I think it was more, yeah, when you did see an ad come out of, of, a, of a company and 
you know, you were stoked. Um, I think it was probably more the, the, the ones that you just worked hard for. So it was just like an editorial spread. Yeah. That was like, hey, you know, I paid for that trip and I went there and I got the shot, you know. Yeah. And, and I think too, the relationship we used to have with photographers back in the day was everything. Yeah. You know, there was a guy, John Respondek and Andrew Shield, who were from our town and it was the daily you'd get up and call them, you know, like, yeah. and, and me being, you know, I didn't make them a lot of money. So they weren't calling me. I had to call them and go, where are you guys at? I'm coming down, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was, um, you know, but me. It's, it's such an amazing uh, accomplishment, you know, as you're, you know, those are the, the milestones that you kind of like work for, right? Yeah. Getting a shot in the mag, you know, winning contests, yeah. you know, getting a part in the video. Yeah. You know, like all those things make it, you know, rewarding. And, and, you know, yeah, it's it's an ego boost, but still, it's fucking... I mean, I've never got a shot in a mag, but I can only imagine how fucking sick that would be to get a magazine and look yeah. inside and go, holy shit, there I am! Yeah, but, you know? but, but it's not as easy as it looks as just going and surfing and getting... You know, like, you gotta... You gotta have the right sponsors, the logos who are advertising, and yeah. you gotta, you gotta, it's gotta find, it's gotta fit in the editorial. The editor's gotta make yeah. it fit, you know, like it's that's... how Lar ever got any coverage is, is a wonder. To me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so <laughs> talented, yeah. so but the hustle. I mean, like you said, reaching out to the photographer, you know, photographers, and, and and then you know, luckily, you know, we I live close to surfing and surfer and the fans world, and yeah, just going down and hanging out at the. The buildings and looking at photos yep. and asking about trips and who's you know and yeah. it's a you know it's a full hustle yeah. you know? just, just being present yeah. yeah and and those relationships with the people working in the magazines was so important yeah. yeah and it was you know like you might have a day where you might have pissed someone off and you're like geez I haven't had a photo for a few mags and yeah you had to go back and uh, mend that relationship yeah. and and it was at the end of the day those guys that worked in the mags basically uh could make or break your career for sure they were really really important so um and a lot of them in australia were just good dudes anyway so you know i used to associate with um you know uh ronnie blakey who's the yeah. uh he's commentator so ronnie ronnie i mean he was just one of my dearest friends and his brother vaughn and sam mcintosh and um you know all those guys were at waves and tracks mag in australia and so when i'd go down to sydney we'd stay with them and yeah. just i mean all, at the end of the day, you had to earn your stripes. So it was never about, hey, put me in, put me in. It was more us associating and going to seeing concerts or going to bars and just yeah. hanging out. And yeah. I mean, such an, such an influential pack of guys that was that group. And then I lived on the Gold Coast and I was right next to Surfing Life and I barely knew anyone in there, you mm. know? But it was just more because I enjoyed hanging out with those yeah. guys down in Sydney. Yeah. Relationship was it Justin that worked at. Uh, yeah, Fano was there yeah, for yeah. a bit. Um, and then, uh, I mean, Neil Ridgway, who was, I think, the head of Rip Curl for a long time. So a lot of guys that have a media background or journalism background in surfing, it used to be called EMAP. I think it was that was the name of the company. And it was Waves and Tracks Magazine were in together. Mm. Kind of like Surfer and Surfing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, that office, you would go in and, you know, it was just, you'd just get tingles because if you got back from a trip, Remember all the photos were on slides. Yeah. You had to wait till they all got processed and to get a shot. Yeah, and then you'd be there is looking at the water drop and, and then lens. Is it, yeah, is it yeah. Fuzzy? I hope so. No. So, yeah, and I remember being in the out in the surf, and if a cloud came, the sun went behind the cloud, and a good wave was coming, you wouldn't go because you're like, oh wait, I, it's, yeah. it's overcast. And if it was overcast, phone shit. Yeah. So it's just, and we had a lot of cloud. I just remember 
all of those, like today, you just color correct it and done, you move on, you yeah. know? Oh, but so all those things were so important. Yeah. It was crazy. Well, what was your local surf shop? Um, Did you have one? Yeah, not really. We were, weren't, um, it was more there where you got your surfboards made. That's yeah. where, you, so you'd go to like, you know, where they were shaped and glass and, and all that like kind the of factory, stuff. like the surf. The like, factory, yeah. that, that was, to me, that was where I was spending everything. But my surfboard sponsor was Stuart and he had a surf shop in front of it. So Mermaid Beach. Okay. Um, and then he was such a good dude that even like when I would come home from touring and stuff, he'd say, hey, do you want to come and work a couple of days in the store? And it was, I did, it was epic. I still love that interaction with people and you know they'd come in and buy boards and i guess it made you think of it then you were actually qualified to sell surfboards because you wrote them and you yeah. knew what worked and you'd see people come in and you're like dude you don't want that board. that's yeah. not gonna work which you. which you know goes back to the authenticity and like how like this is a, a a special sport that you need to have knowledge for going in and finding that right board because it's make or break whether that guy's gonna have or girl's gonna have an amazing you know session or the next like Having that techni- technician, like that yeah. knows what yeah. they're talking about, talking curve, talking you know contours and wet fin and volume, and well, I mean back then there was no volume; it was just thickness. You know, it's yeah. totally changed over the years. But well, yeah. like like you said, like Pesh, right at HSS. Yeah, he's so important, right? Yeah. You know, anyone that's you know like any, and I'd say to any retailer, and this just comes from my background of selling fanning sandals and stance socks, but. When someone's going to purchase a $900 product, you better make sure the person selling to them knows exactly what they're talking about. And I think to all retailers out there, the importance of calling yourself a surf shop. One is stocking surfboards. So, you know, we live in a world of data today where it's dollars by square foot and what's the return on investment. And it's really hard to, uh, when someone is a loyalty long-time customer that's buying surfboards from you, to eliminate that space because say a small fixture there is going to turn more dollars yeah you owe it to the sport to the lifestyle itself to be putting surfboards on the floor and you owe it to employ someone pay them a little bit more yeah to be working in that store because that's what authenticates yeah you're talking to former um hss boardroom uh, boardroom uh, employees right here <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I pack many boards up and sell a lot of a lot of boards back in the day to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Japan, they yeah. loved them, didn't they? Yeah. So, um, going back to the tour, you did the WQS for mm-hmm. how long? Like 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Someone should have said I should have quit, huh? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't make it in three or four years, you should be looking for a new job. Well, how, yeah. how long did you chase it for? I think I did four or five years pretty strong. Like, you know, because it takes about a year or two to get, like your points to where you get a good yeah. seed and then you know because it's rare you, you know like there's guys that just i'm gonna go do the cure the tour and then they're on you know they just blaze through but i think i, I spent a couple couple years like building through the bud tour getting points and doing some events and then like a good like three or four like right yeah. chasing the the tour Ten and then after that years. you know yeah going back to what you mentioned is you know you you would you're going to all these spots and you're only there like I was fortunate enough to where I'm like well I don't want to chase and go to a spot with 300 guys trying to do a contest I want to go back there when nobody's there yes. and enjoy the culture and, and surf and you know maybe do events and stuff but I, yeah. I was fortunate to go back and do a lot of traveling to a lot of cool spots sure and, and look yeah ten, there were some ugly times man there were some times I wanted to throw in the towel so I was so over it because one I was just getting beaten all the time 
that sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and doubting myself. Um, you know, and, and you look back at it, like you, you, 27 years of age, you, you know, you can't be doubting. I mean, today is a perfect example of a healthy mind, healthy body. You look after yourself, you know, yeah. look at Kelly. Um, you know, even look at guys in their late 30s. And I even think like Mick Fanning off to and now probably surfs. He might not be as precise like in a 40-minute heat. Yeah. But he's probably having way more fun, yeah. you know, and he's probably trying different equipment yeah. and he's just, I think he's just great to watch. And Taj is another one. Yeah. He's Mr. Beat. No. Um, it's, a, it's amazing. I see, I see, I take my drum down and I see Fanning getting out when we're getting down there in the mornings. Yeah. Like he's already put an hour in and he's getting out and we're, and we're getting down there at like 6, 6.30. Like it's heavy. I mean, mixed work ethic. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to work with Mick in my reef days as well yeah. and man just a just a like he, he's a leader but he's also a, a helper as well yeah like I've never met anyone that you know obviously we work with Bobby Martinez too and you know Bobby God love him man probably one of the most talented talented humans I ever like eyes yeah. laid on and you know but we had some challenging times on some basic fundamentals of just getting to an event or getting somewhere and you know, Mick was just such a great support to me and to Bobby to getting him to, to, to that level. So all he has to do easily is go and surf. Yeah. And uh, he didn't have to do that. Yeah. I mean, shit, he was doing it with a fellow competitor that could have beaten him. Yeah. And you've got to give Mick Fanning a lot of credit there because he just, he's a helper. Yeah. That's a, you know? Such a solid dude. Yeah. And That's I off just, to, uh, all his success too. Yeah. Five. All this. Everything. Yeah, he's like a, there's there's winners and then there's winners and leaders and like you said, people that pay pay back and are paving the way for others and yeah. you know, good role model and, and just ambassador to the sport, you know? Yeah, and I think it's a personality thing, right? Yeah. Like you either have it or you don't, you know, and, and I still think Mick's probably, you know, three times world champion is his probably biggest accolades are to come. Yeah. You know, I could see him even running I could see him being a prime minister of Australia one day. Wow. I could see him being you know, like a community, you know, he already is a big voice in the community. I mean, what he's done for the, you know, the flood victims right yeah. now, like he's yeah. just, the guy's banging nails and I don't know if he's that good at it, but he's there and he's yeah. present and he's voice. Which is, which is huge when you're so well known and like yeah. that, you know, just, it inspires others to, you know, yeah. step up. Yeah. And he's just, um, you know, and all the, just what he's had to go with his, with yeah. his family and the yeah. passing of his brothers and. And uh, yeah, man, like anybody, anyone else would have thrown in the towel and just would have, you would have, would have ran up and never seen him again. Yeah. But uh, he's just a, he's a, he's a unique human, and uh, yeah, he's a helper, yeah. and I think that's key. And uh, whether you're on tour with someone like that or you're working, um, you know, I've always said in in, in my uh, experience that people will make and break you. You know, when you're surrounding yourself with people, and and uh, you know, you employ good people. You, you eliminate the working side of it. You've all got roles and responsibilities. And uh, I know with JS, I know with the source suppliers, I try to employ people that uh, are just, they're, they're going to get the job done. Yeah. You know, and even go to that next level and even come back to me and go, hey, you said do it this way, but I actually think it's better to do it this way. I mean, I'm like, hey, if it's yeah. going to make it better on both of us, let's let's go that route. And, and then you have other people that you kind of like, oh, okay not going to come to work today or you're kind of taking another day off yeah. or okay yeah you know we're, we're yeah and, and you get a lot of that when you're in the business of, of hiring employees and you yeah. you know you you think somebody's going to turn out and you're like wow that 
kind of bummed me out. And then you get somebody that just totally surprised you to go above and beyond. It's like, is it Steve Jobs that said, hire smart people and get out of their way? Right. <laughs> right. I like that one. Yeah. I like yeah. that one too. Yeah. I think you just got to understand that, like, as a business owner versus a business employee, there's two very different things. Yeah. And as a business owner, um, you know, you're like, hey, you know, like, you're here to make my dream successful, but I'll make yours as well. And I think there's that, you know, you know, I, I guess someone's looking, if they work hard all year, they're going to get their bonus. Yeah. And, you know, that's going to provide their, you know, a, a, an addition on their house, perhaps a holiday with their family. And that means everything to them, right? Like, that's a really, really good yeah. way to look at it. And then, obviously, from my end, I'm looking at, okay, like, you know, when I when we grow, am I looking at retirement or, you know, is this a sellable option and, you know, all those kind of things. So, um, yeah, the importance of having really good people around you is everything. And, um, and it's not to say if that person in that moment in their life is not good. But a little shake up that yeah. happened to me is maybe it's a reflection they need to have to go back and go, hey, you know what? I took that last role for granted. I perhaps was a bit selfish for myself. Going to this next phase of where I'm at, I need to be a little bit more open-minded and not be about me, myself, and I. Yeah, yeah. Um, perhaps be there as a team and help this person. And, you know, like everybody goes through these challenging times in life. And let's be honest, we've just gone through the craziest pandemic that... Some people have prevailed and some people have really had struggles with it. Yeah. Um, and I just think, uh, you know, we've got to kind of pick ourselves up. I mean, and not to get too deep, but I feel America right now is very big on throwing stones at other people and pointing people out of their problems. And are they really problems? You know, like, you know, like something as small as the president muffling a word on his, on his speech. Like, yeah. who really gives a fuck? Yeah. Right. That's, you're a, like that's a world that, of social media right now. Yeah. It's just like, and, and, and we're in this data-driven world where they've got to be on results and impressions and all that. That's not media. Yeah. That's a fucking game that you're going to get in a vortex and never be able to get out of it. Yeah. I think it's all about helping one another and supporting one another and being, uh, you know, united. Right. Like, um, and not everyone's the same. Yeah. Not everyone has the same values. Well, we talk about it. You know, I work for Ruka. He, you know, he works for um, yeah, Julius Brown projects. Rivia Projects. And, you know, there's there's definitely a changing of the, of the guard. And there's brands that are doing really well right now. Sure. And there's some that are up and coming. And some that have been around for a long time that are struggling. But the industry can't be supported off a couple of hot brands or a couple of brands. You know, like, as a collective, we all need to be doing well. The, yeah. All the retail needs to be doing well. So there's different know, brands that need to ring the register. There, right? yeah, hundred percent, yeah. And, and and no shop could survive just on a handful of brands. Yeah. And, and, and brand, you know, certain brands spike through the years, and some have it's a long. Per- it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. balanced. Like, we want, and, and again, this is a you know, this is an industry where all of our peers and friends and everybody work with, and yeah, we're competing, but we also want the level of competition there, healthy competition. Yeah. Everybody's making good, you know, good price decision, making money. Sure. But you need that. You need that competition. So going back to you, twenty-seven years old. Mm-hmm. You now was it hard? Because you said you weren't winning contests, but you're giving it a go. Right? Yeah. And giving keeping sponsors right is like fucking hard. It, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think it. I think um, it comes down to relations as well. And I was just a worker, right? Like. When I rode for Reef and Reef started apparel and I got signed for head to toe and, um, you know, then there was, there was contest results and exposure media as well, right? So that was my, you know, 
that was my kind of uh, perspective and objective is just to make sure that my sponsors are stoked. Yeah. And, you know, they weren't so much stoked on the contest results. They were more on, hey, what trips did you went on? You know, you had a travel budget, you paid for it yourself, and you got photos and exposure from it. That's what our, that's all we want as a brand. Yeah. And, you know, there might have been guys ranked higher than you that just didn't have that mentality. And there's a reason why they didn't have a sponsor, you know, and they were you know, making quarters and semis in, in, on the QS and didn't have a sponsor and didn't have any exposure. And it really was, uh, it, hit, it hit me that the importance of having exposure, maybe it was pro- probably seeing Margot as well and just seeing how just, he was just, he was in everything. Yeah. You know, and just to take a little bit of what, just a little bit of like... Uh, how he was doing it. Yeah. Yeah, his playbook. De- definitely not on the talent, just yeah. more on like, hey, getting in front of the the lens as much as I can and hopefully you know it, it'll pay off and um, yeah but it, and it was definitely a big changing the industry back then so there was that you know late late 90s early 2000s the industry just started blowing up yeah. you know the beach culture and the lifestyle was just everything so all the the you know hundred million dollar brands of say Quick Bong and Vulcan became you know half a half a billion you know up to seven three quarters of a billion they were making so much money. They were expanding into new categories. There was like, you know... Could go no wrong. Could go no wrong. Yeah. People with business mindsets were coming in and, and guiding and directing these perhaps young executives at the time. And maybe there was a bit of luck, right? For sure, you know? Yeah. Like, there had to be. But, um, you know, you got to look at the pioneers, like, you know, Gordon Merchant, you know, from Billabong, and, you know, Doug, uh, you know... Uh, Brian Singer and, and, and uh, Claw from Rip Curl and, yeah. and Bob McKnight over here from yeah. Quick, like Bob Hurley, Bob Hurley, yeah. you yeah. know those guys, man. Like they're, they're the you know Danny Quack, yeah, <laughs> Dude, what, love that guy. What's yeah. the cranky South African? Uh, Nade, Nade, yeah. Nade. <laughs> yeah. So you know you got to give credit to those guys that yeah. uh, they've paid the pay. Yeah. And just I don't think there's a real recipe other than. Bill grow sell, Bill grow sell, yeah. you know, and I think to your point, it's got to a stage where you know the, the the pig is stuffed, but how do we just make sure that what's on the dinner table is enough for everyone to survive? Yeah, it's you know it's a great always, analogy right there, right? Yeah. Like there's yeah. got to be you want fifty percent of something rather than hundred percent of nothing. Yeah. yeah, and I think these companies have become corporate. They've brought in outside executives of being very positioned to growth yeah. and succeed, but. Little do they know they're destroying the culture, yeah. Yeah. and that comes from like, hey, I'm I'm here for two years to do a job, yeah. and I've got to get this over your billion or whatever the number is, and I'm going to get a fat um, incentive for it, and then I'm out. Yeah. Well, yeah, what have you done? You just left an absolute shithole in the yeah. business. Well, you look at what Nike did, you know, to the industry, you know, like put all that money in and then pulled it Create out and just vacuum, yeah. you know, yeah. just you can't. Nobody could come in and replace that unless you know they let it. You know somebody else come in and do it. But yeah, going to your point is, you know the, the original founders in our industry, like they just want to continue on their lifestyle. Yeah, they wanted to make money and be successful, but it was living the dream of what we you know set out to. Well, we, how do we I work to surf? How do right? I surf? How do I surf more? How do I create a revenue stream that I could just and I could do that for my and at the time it was. They're hiring all their friends and family, and now they're stoked because they're hooking up everybody. Sure. And you bring in these outsiders, and it's, it's the bottom line, and it's the top line. It's, and it's everything. It's crazy, like you know, the, when when you first started getting on tour, 
you, you were a sous chef, right? And making money to get to France, right? Yeah. And then as you get more exposure and a little bit more success, you know, you're getting paid to do, to do that, right? But you're doing it so you can do it, so you can serve, so you can travel. Right. That's it. I mean, that's all of our, that's all that's our it. positions. Yeah. It like, was, it like was. We, we're in it because we want to keep the lifestyle. That, that first whitewater to green face is still, yeah. you know. <laughs> whitewater to green face. face. <laughs> yeah. It's probably blue face. Blue face, yeah. yeah. Blue. But, um, but yeah, man, that, that, that's it. Look, I'm, you know, I'm 46 years old today, uh, 46 years young. And uh, I've still got so much to learn and, you know, I'm not perfect, absolutely. And, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes and luckily a lot of them have been easy ones I can just kind of like fix, you know. Um, I think the most important at my age is just surrounding myself around good people. Yeah. And and perhaps giving them the message that I never got in my ear, like, hey man, like, you know, Brent Riley is a young kid that works with us and incredible young surfer and... um, you know, he's running all our sales and marketing today. And yeah. just if I can, you know, hey, mate, you know, just a little word of advice or whatever, keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a great job. And, yeah. and and the other thing too is our surf industry, the importance, and it's, it's not to gloat about, but that being a surfer and getting it to a level is like a degree. Yeah. yeah right? For like, sure. Like, and then to have a business acronym with it, it yeah. never really goes hand in hand. And credit to you, you two guys as well. Is like you put yourself through, you know, a degree of understanding the surf industry, but then the culture and sport that comes with it. Yeah. And there's very few people that are like it. I mean, we have a lot of people that are great people and great in business. Yeah. That are novice at surfers, and then you have the other ones that are really good surfers that just cannot translate yeah. to business. And Brent's a really good one in the fact that, um, I mean, he blows everyone out of the lineup every day we go surfing and. Uh, it's it's a great to see, but then he's also coming here and talking about you know terms in business and payments and you're late on age receivables and you know stock counts and inventory and, and, it, yeah. and he and comes I, from Surfride, right? Comes from Surfride. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought up the, those those two viewpoints of you know there's something Lyndon likes to bring it up. How much respect you get when you are a good surfer, just amongst yeah. the peers, and just and you're a just, cool dude, and you have. You but know. like, yeah, like you know, if that if, you know, you got to have all the characteristics of a, a good person and, and cool and in relation, you know, relatable or whatever. But you know, if the if you suck at surfing, yeah, you can be great at business and still have like killer accolades and, mm-hmm. and have great relationships. But when those two are together, yeah, it's like the dynamite, yeah. dynamite, yeah, you know, and. And that's just There's a three show. of them in this room, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just, it's no, you know, tooting hot air, for, you know, it's just, it's just showing that, you know, you work so hard and yeah, you have special skills or whatever, but, you know, people want to hang out, like you mentioned, around cool people. Yeah. And people want to do business with people they like. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's business one-on-one. But that's, would that's, you want to go on a surf trip with a guy who can't make the freaking drop or get barreled, you know? You want to be real funny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're buying beers tonight, bro. You can even make the, you know. But if yeah. you go to Kelly Slater's wave pool, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they pay for it. And, that, yeah. Yeah. and again, that's not, you know, poking at anybody that's not a phenomenal or great surfer. It's just how we look at, at people and yeah. growing up in industry. It's just the way it is, yeah. you know? And. I, I, if you're cool to me, hey, I'm going to be cool back. You yeah, know? Sure. If you're a kook to me in business, then it's like, I don't really want to do the same thing in the water. I don't want to surf with you if you're freaking burning me and, you know, being a freaking aggressive guy out there. It's like, 
It's yeah. funny. It's funny. People ask me about surfing and personalities and all that. I go, picture a sport where you're all thrown in there together, <laughs> but nobody talks. So the only real personality where you can tell is somebody's actions. So the way they paddle, the way they are aggressive and all that. It's like it's hilarious. Nobody's yeah. talking. Yeah. But you kind of like, oh god, this guy's guy, <laughs> on Mars again, and he can't even make the drop. And that person's like, I just want to get the best wave out of here. I don't care who anyone is. Here. So there's no etiquette. And it's funny, it's just, a, it, it's, yeah. if you go out in a surfing lineup, you can really tell someone's personality. Yeah. You know, another guy, Shit, ben, man, people think I'm a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Larson doesn't see anybody. I don't know. That, that's, uh, you know, HB um, mentality. Mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Same where I grew yeah. up, it, you had to fight the fight. And, yeah. you know, I, I lived for a long time with Ben Bourgeois. Yeah. And he was the guy that's better than You live with Ben Bourgeois? Yeah, we, we bought our first house together in, in Carlsbad. No way. Yeah, Benny and I bought a place on... Off, uh, that guy's still fucking ripping. Yeah. But he's a guy in a lineup that will sit off the end. Yeah. Because Benny's chill. Yeah. He's cool. He's not a fighter. No. You know, he's, he's just like... That's me. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. really... He's not interested in rubbing shoulders. And, and if you look at most of Ben Bourgeois' postings today, he's surfing solo waves by himself. And that's always, what he likes doing. Dude, where the fuck is he? Because the waves... He's probably in the Caribbean somewhere. Yeah, but even the waves in the... What is he... Outer Banks, right? Uh, he's from Wrightsville Beach, yeah, okay. North Carolina. Yeah. And he gets good waves, a lot of good waves. Well, he he's doesn't been... post on the shitty days. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Just like all of us, yeah. No, I got that one simple one. No, but you're right. I mean, it does, personalities do shine a lot through surfing and etiquette, you know, and again, surfing is, yeah, it's, there's so, there's so much dynamics yeah. to it, you know? So you're, you're coming to the end of your professional mm-hmm. tour career. What, what was the reasons or like you saw the writing on the wall? Like what was your, what was your move for? the oldest QS surfer on tour. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, like, and it was, I had, it was more, so I'd signed another three years with Reef and it was a good deal. It was like, you know, I was making like 50 grand a year from them and and had like a $10,000 or $5,000 travel budget. So wasn't wasn't amazing money, but then I had like a, I had a few little sponsors there, and it all ended up to be really good. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take the photo route. I'm just going to, you know, try to shoot photos as much as I can. The the contest definitely. I, I felt like I just needed some time off, and then I went to Hawaii, and uh, it was the first year. It was pretty humbling, and I didn't qualify for the uh, triple crown, which was riding on the wall, right? You didn't make the top 100, then you know what were you doing? Um, so that was a big bummer, and then I kind of was like, all right, so I went and surfed off the wall one day, and uh, I basically pulled into a wave out there and got absolutely my ass fucking handed to me, um, you know, knocked out. One of those situations where some of the people in the past have passed away, and uh, wow. my board was broken and tube stoning, and Mayan Goodwin and Makala Jones saved me, and it was gnarly, man. I My ear was hanging off. I... T- 12, a massive cut in my head, which I got 12 staples. Your board hit you? No, I hit the, hit the bottom and broke my scapula, ribs, punctured my lung, and got airlifted from Sunset Elementary to... Um, How big were the waves? It wasn't even that big. It was like six to eight feet. Yeah. Big. Yeah. <laughs> it was the biggest thing I ever broke. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Healy. It was, was like, like 1969. Yeah. Mark Healy would have yeah, I mean, it, it, 10 foot, 5 foot, still yeah. breaks in the same fucking 3 feet of water with 
Yeah. Yeah. Heads and and so you pulled I, in and you got drilled. Well, it was one of the one of the waves where um, I caught a wave and I was paddling back out and I could hear, you know when they're all whistling the sets are coming. I was like, oh my god! So I always thought I was going to get it on the head, and I was paddling, 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 and I got it was just at the like in the lineup, and I got over the first wave thing and there was a one behind that was going to catch me and I got through and it was a double up and it missed everyone in the lineup. And then, you know, you're there and all the photographers are like, go, they're like, go nutty. And I just, it was a chip shot. I just turned around and went, oh my God, this is it. Like, I got a dream wave. Like, well, a dream closeout. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to, you know, turn around and took off and, you know, went past the photographers and got fucking annihilated. Like I remember pulling in and diving forward and just seeing black. Like it was all black rock and, and then, yeah, so that was, that was, you know, four months rehabilitation, and it, it, honestly, I, I was at the time lifted to yeah Queens, Queens Hospital. Was in there for ten days um, before I could fly, and and then um, my dad had come over from Australia, and you know I was living here in America at the time with my wife. Now was my fiance at the time, and um, yeah, it was just and I you know got back to America here, and it, I just. I couldn't rehab, you know, like I was just like, and it was just, I was hearing Carlsbad, I was probably eating shitty food, I was going to see some people that I just wasn't on the right um, yeah, mindset. To, mindset. I was 28, I think. And um, and naturally, and I got parents who come from a hardworking background and they're like, hey, it's time, it's time. But yet I had three years left on my contract, you know, yeah. and I was like, oh shit. You know, and then... Mark Price had kind of brought me in the office one day. He goes, "Hey, you know, we, we, we're going to have a new sports marketing position, and love you if you were interested to transition in because you, you know your injury, and um, you know you'd be working with Mick and Machado, and and we're about to launch. You know, we, we're going to even go heavier with apparel. Yeah, um, it was just the right thing. Yeah, you know, I actually took a pay cut from being a pro surfer to go work. To go work. Yeah, and went from fifty k. Well, no, it, all my sponsors together back, it was nearly over a hundred grand or whatever. Yeah. Then I took it back to the 60 grand to go and do sports yeah. marketing. Yeah. But it was just, um, look, so, it was right sorry thing. to interrupt, but you didn't go to school for, for this. No. You, you were just, had to be mentored. Yeah. And that's why mentoring was really important. Like, um, you know, I probably, I, I don't even see Mark Rice anymore. You know, I, I, I uh, you know, he's just, he, he's just a really smart guy yeah. you know and I think he would just he was a guy that would have little chips in my ear like don't say that don't do this and he was a guy when I started working that I just wanted to impress him you know yeah. I just wanted to yeah. um, well he's got a, a, a really he's cool great background too like yeah. he's a fucking ripping surfer too yeah so you With have that respect for him yeah. you know because you knew that he could sure surf he, he, and he's a cool dude and yeah, yeah and he's running reef and you're like it's cool that he noticed something in you yeah to, no you're right you know and um cause he could've got somebody that went to school for it or anybody totally. else you know what I mean like totally to for him to like go you know what I'm gonna give Nutty a, a shot at this yeah you know he doesn't know oh. anything about it but and I'm you, gonna show him the ropes man you, you you couldn't have said it any better like um and I tell you, like that, his decision to hire a non-American, right? You know, hire an Australian that I didn't even have a green card, and they just somehow worked it out and got me in there. And you know, then Reef got bought by VF, and you know, 
Mark had moved on after about a year and started Firewire and then I just kind of got into the mix and I guess one of the cool things at Reef was um, when they got bought by BF, it was like college, right? Because yeah. you were going to seminars, you were like being, um, you know, acclimated in business, you were you just, and whether you were smart enough to take it on or not and I worked alongside pretty cool people like uh, PJ Connell. Uh, was a guy, you know, young, hungry surfer from Ventura, who now I think he's head of root curl marketing and stuff, but he was just a good voice too, because he wanted to learn. He's like, hey man, this is a really good opportunity, you know, for us to like get exposed to like good business acumen and stuff yeah. like that. And and VF was very strategic. It was, you know, we were riding coattails of vans in the North Face. Uh, everything was about their success. Unfortunately, Reef was never gonna be at, you know, that level. I think they bought Reef to think it was. Uh, it was just a whole different culture and a way of life versus the Vans. You know, Vans is Inland Empire and it's yeah. everything, right? It's not beach, it's everything. Yeah, yeah, Reef was just the beach. Yeah. Um, well, so it's, I think you. it was a really cool thing for you to experience being bought, right? Yeah. By a corporate company that, you know, earlier we were talking about how when it gets too big and they start making, you know, adding categories that they really don't belong in where reef they, they wanted reef to be a, a lifestyle head-to-toe brand right yeah even more right well and i think too yeah i remember um one time you know we the company had invested heavily internally to new categories there was a whole women's category that was i think there was 30 women that were employed there and i never forget i was in australia um at the narrowman pro junior with some grommets and uh got a phone call like, hey man, 40 people got laid off today. Ooh. And it was just like, the whole women's department got let go. And that made me just go, wow. Just like that. Just wow. Yeah. Like, and it goes to show like, you know, you should never take anything for granted. And this lifestyle that we live in and work in is, yeah. you know, it's fleeting. It, it has to perform, yeah. you know, it does. It, I think 50% or 100% I, yeah. I think when that happens it, it definitely puts things in, in perspective on you know more so I, I'm selling nutty I'm selling myself I don't know which brand you know I could be the next one that's term, you know that's let go yeah or you know so it kind of you know you, you take it for granted like oh I got this cush job it's a great brand you know we're plugging away you're kind of just smooth sailing and then you get thrown into a storm even though that didn't affect you personally but it did because the whole women's sure. department got like let go so you you became sports marketing for reef sports and marketing you... for reef yeah and then uh and that was basically glorified team manager um i basically had the company card and you know i i i guess i really got to learn go to market through yeah. reef and reef was obviously we were following the vans model um, so we would have seasonal product launches, then marketing launches to support the product market. It was very strategic and it made actual sense, right? Yeah. You know, there were times there where we were putting ads in magazines of product that we didn't even have. <laughs> it was, yeah. it yeah. was pretty stupid. A lot of disconnect with the yeah. timelines and stuff. And yeah, and a lot of like personal opinion. I think um, that was the thing. You had to take your personal emotion out of it and a go-to-market really was to drive... Uh, brand awareness and revenue growth in a category, right? Yeah. Like, uh, especially when you're launching a new category. So I think a lot of those VF decisions definitely um, made me like get a, get a proper understanding of how, how does a company work? That was one thing I always asked myself, okay, how does this company work? 
how does it make money yeah. and how can it be successful and fail? Just a couple, three questions, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember even in my years of working, you know, even at Stance, had a lady in our team and she goes, well, I just do social media. I'm like, but do you understand how this company works? She goes, no, I just do social media. Yeah. Like, so you have no idea where Wrong attitude. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and hey, you know what? Like, um, that's yeah. just where, you know, I was just always tried to understand um, I really wanted to understand just how the money, how, what the annual revenue was, how it was successful, and then how, um, you know, where, where did it fail? Um, and I got to that stage in my life where I was like, that's really important because that could be me getting that phone call going, you're out. So yeah. heavy. Yeah. So your responsibilities, you, you, you started learning all the go-to-market strategies, but you were working closely with Mick and... And Rob, and you know, we had Bobby at the time. So I was basically building all the content creation for the go-to-market. Yeah, yeah. You know, we would go and, you know, court it glorified, but we were going on surf trips and bringing all the right products to be shot and how it had to be shot. And we got a basic brief from the creative director and, you know, the creative director didn't come on. And then and then from there, it got to a stage where then I got promoted to men's marketing. So it was the men's marketing. And basically, I was responsible uh, to do all the marketing for the men's side of the business, which is the biggest side of the business. Yeah. And then um, I kind of got... kind of... Sorry to interrupt, but that's so the evolution of your your schooling, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Sh- from chef to pro surfer to... You team know, glorified team manager, but yet you're still learning you, a lot of other things yeah. while you're in that, right. that position. But that takes a lot of credit to you of... How does learning. this company work and what sure. am I doing? You're just not like, I got a company corporate car, let's go party, you know? Like, you're, yeah. you're having to execute and, and follow through and make sure you're getting your shit done. 100%. And we'd be in like line reviews or marketing reviews, and the way VF structured it was really cool. So, someone in their territory would have to get up and, you know, like EMEA would get up and talk about what Europe's needs are. APAC would want to talk what their needs are. Domestic America would talk about, you know, and you've got so many different needs globally that a brand has to. Uh, fulfill right yeah. like because every territory's <clears throat> revenue is extremely important naturally merit North America and Europe is is incredible to a company's global revenue right but yeah. but um, I guess at the time too I was traveling so much and I was missing Australia um, and there was a position in APAC so Australasia Pacific um, for reef for reef and I was like and then it was more taking a sales and marketing role whereas a little bit intangible in the past, I was just doing marketing. And I was like, okay, this is great. And I had a person uh, that took a risk with me and said, hey, you know, you have no experience. I'm like, well, how hard can it be? You know, mm-hmm. like teach me, yeah. you know? Um, and obviously then I really was managing the holistic side of a business. I was managing, you know, pre-sell revenue targets, you know, uh, margins on, especially for instance, the fanning sandal, you couldn't sell it in Tahiti because it's too expensive, mm. you know? So there was just so many factors uh, that you didn't know until traveling territories. And just Asia in general is a very different business model. Yes, it's heavily populated, but the dispensable income from the wealthy is pretty small. Yeah, A lot of product is moved in accounts on wheels. A lot of the retail is built in fake malls that basically it's glorified, right? Yeah, it's yeah. all built because of the cost of building and, and materials is so cheap. Um, so there was just, it, it was definitely like a, a really big eye opener, but I was able to go back to Australia yeah. and that's what I was stoked on, you know? So um, then I kind of transitioned uh, John Wilson. Uh, can, I, can I yeah. say two things? So are you responsible for 
getting the girls in bikinis out of the ads? No. No. I wasn't. And I was very against that. Yeah. Um, and once again, when I say people make and break you, uh, there was a person there that had a high-powered voice that was very adamant. He individually didn't want to see it anymore. So it kind of bummed me out because he took the role in the fact that uh, he just wanted to eliminate that because it didn't sit well with him personally. Yeah. Um, do you know? Uh, Which was what their marketing and their foundation was based yeah. on from day one. For sure. And yeah. I think today it probably, yeah, that definitely would have had to be because I think you just, you only got to turn on your Instagram and it's all over there anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah. Hey, sex sells and we're buying. It does. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I still believe that today, right? Like at the end of the day, like you can't help if you're attracted to something, right? Yeah. Whether it's men, women, or, or a lifestyle or a hobby, if you're attracted to it, then, you know, there's a, there's obviously a respectful way to applaud it. For sure. Um, you know, but... but you can do it tastefully in a, in a, in a way that yeah. Yeah, isn't and degrading and isn't like, you know... You're, I mean, you're that's looking at a girl in a bikini. On, you go to the beach with right? a girl in a bikini. Like, what? How's that? Like, not. I mean, go down and spend a summer at Mar del Plata in Argentina, yeah. where the Reef is from, and you'll see. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the Triple Crown <laughs> Reef of, of South America events. Oh my god! There you go. And, and then, it was my, their culture. My other second question is: Who developed? Who came up with the mastermind of? Not that I like it, but Fanny Sample. Yeah. It's a great story, this one. So, Ryan Keenan. Love um, Ryan Keenan. Yeah. Huntington Boy. HB. Great surfer, too. Rips. Z-Boy. This Big. is kind of like that. Whoever came up with this, it's, it's folklore, right? Yeah. Like, who's the genius? Again? Well, and he was, he pitched it, I think, a couple times to Santiago and Fernando. And I like, I think Santiago was head of product and maybe Fernando was marketing. Or, um, but I know Santiago was like, Keenan, this ain't going to work. It's never going to work. He's like, you know... It's not that it's not going to work, but we've got the athlete with Mick. And this was when Mick was still, like, had Eugene in him. He was a bit yeah. wild. Yeah. You know, loved to get on the source and have a good time. And I think, and Ryan Keenan, he'll, he'll tell you correctly, but he bet uh, Santiago that it would work uh, over an Indo boat trip. So I think he should ask for a little bit more than that. Yeah, a royalty of yeah. some sort. <laughs> but look, truth be told, it's probably you know, under the edge or not, I don't know, but in our industry would have to be the most celebrated signature product that's right. ever been made. Yeah. And, the, you know, and congrats. And, and, and I don't think it would have worked without Mick. Honestly, I think yeah. he definitely... There's a combination of an idea and the personality that pushed yeah, the A forward. very idea that, you know, was thought of, of like, you're crazy, yeah. Yeah. you know, but it could be a freaking winner. But yeah, when you mirrored it up with Mick yeah. and the marketing, I mean, everything had to come together to make it work. So when, when you heard that, when you heard the idea, <laughs> and did you, you thought, was already were you out. there? Were you? No, I was already out when okay. it just came out when I got in there, but I was asking the question too, right? I'm like, dude, whose idea with this? And Ken was like, it was mine. Uh, I think it had been out for about two years and, and uh, you know, instantly had success and yeah, there were the haters like, dude, what happens if you stand in dog shit? I'm like, well, you're an idiot. You yeah. Stand in dog shit, aren't you? Yeah. You clean it off. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. move on. Yeah. But if you're thirsty and that's the only thing to open your beer, you'd yeah. be a fool not to do it. Yeah. And look, the rest is history. I think that when I left Reef, there was 16 colorways in the men's, about 13 in the women's. Yeah. There was collaborations with uh, universities and beverage companies that didn't even know Mick Fanning was. So, 
you know, hats off to Ryan Keenan and Santiago for putting him in the line. And as I said, Mick Fanning is what helped that get it to a level that it was respected. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, an animals emerging surfer with a bit of a wild party side. Yeah. Um, so it was just the perfect recipe. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so back to you on APAC. You you were sales and marketing, but you moved back to Australia or no? I was just spending some time there with the uh, Australian team that they're still doing today, the Butch Bars. Um, so Tim and Emma Bar and uh, Butch, they were obviously uh, veterans in Torquay. Um, and you know, I got to get home a little bit, and then um, yeah, and then our president at Reef at the time was John Wilson, and then he moved over about a year prior and uh, started Stance, or was a part of Stance. Um, and it's, you know, Stance was just socks, right? Yeah. yeah. But their collaboration side, which I gotta give a ton of credit to Ryan Kingman. Ryan Kingman, you know, what was once a commodity product, right? Ryan Kingman made it a brand. Yeah. He individually, his collaborations, he put ageless limits on influencers, which they call punks and poets. Um, you know, if you were 50 and you're doing rad shit, you're a part of the team. Yeah. You know, he didn't care. It was, there was no age limit to it. Which is cool because it's kind of opposite of what our industries are about. Oh, you know, it's kind yeah. of, you have that, that youth, you know, you got to recapture the youth and then it's kind of capped. It's kind of, you know, not too many are advertising to the... Yeah, I think what Mark, Mark Gonzalez, the skateboarder from New York. I mean, how old is that guy? 50s? 50s? Probably 50-something, yeah. Yeah, so icon, right? He was like God, you know, and... You know, then there was, um, he, he, there's just so many people that he had a part of the brand that, that age wasn't an issue, wasn't yeah. the matter. It was experience, what so had they done. When you left Reeve, how, how new was Stance? Like when, when uh, what year? So I was the 31st employee at Stance. And I think at one stage it was 190, which got way too big, it was way too big. Wow. Like, yeah. It was stupid. Um, but, what a great ride, man. Like, yeah. and going over to being, you know, leaving Reef where it was underperforming, um, wasn't hitting expectations from VF, you know, question on where the brand sat in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, whoever's doing it today is doing an incredible job, you know. I think Rockport own it with, um, but I just wanted diversity. I think Reef is on a really good track today. So I definitely yeah. want to give credit where credit's due. For sure. sure. I mean, still powerhouse. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it's diversified itself. I think the women's line there looks really, really tight. Um, so everyone who's under that reef roof today, you yeah. know, I'd really like to. But you went from a ship that's kind of sinking at that time to yeah. you could go no wrong. Oh, I went yeah. over to, to there and I came from, and that was one of the cool things. I definitely came from. Uh, some VF training and, and uh, some mentoring over to a little bit of where it just didn't matter, didn't care. Uh, well, it cared, it cared, let, let me say that correctly. Like, you know, John Wilson, Jeff Curl, uh, Ryan Kingman, yeah. all done an amazing job to, you know, they had a really good supply chain with Taylor Shoe, you know, Aaron Hennings was in there, Candy Harris, you know, phenomenal. Um, but yeah, it was socks, right? Like, yeah. and it was that small footprint in a store that just, Turn and burn. Turn, uh, what is it, 10, $15 price point, you know, and it was a commodity. So yeah. yeah. People wearing socks every day, and it was whether you had the business attire and that was your flair underneath. Um, I think 
going back to that era, maybe there was a Luke Davis era where people were wearing socks pulled up and rolled up pants. And yeah. it was just timing. Everything was just this trend being in the right place at the right time. A lot of money that was invested into it. Yeah. Um, Which were, always helps. Yeah, right? <laughs> I remember kind of like listening to podcasts or watching videos or whatever of how they came up with stance and you know I hate it when people say finding the white space but that's what it was right and that Jeff Curl right yep and he comes from Skullcandy right yeah and it, they did the same thing with that right like they reinvigorated it reinvigorated a category and stance was doing that what's crazy is like you know, working at HSS, we fucking sold Billabong socks. We sold right. Volcom socks. We sold Quicksilver socks. Like, socks upon socks. But... It's an afterthought, wasn't it? It was an afterthought, yeah. and yeah. it was just, like, there, just and there was no, category. like... It's an add-on category. It wasn't thought yeah. about. Yeah. And, and I think Vans did. I think Vans definitely had... Um, because they're so strategic in everything that, that they had. Yeah. And just, just back a little bit when I was at... Reef Vans was just smashing retail everywhere. They were oh my building gosh. their own retail, so naturally that sock wall had a major revenue. And yeah. we we were getting statistics at Reef, and we're like, wow, that's that's a big business. And it was basically black and white socks. Yeah. So I think maybe that's you know, but the way I looked at it with John and Jeff was Jeff was the just the entrepreneur, like you know anything. He, the guy would be right next to Elon Musk and flying in. A spaceship to the moon if you could you know he's probably yeah. got it in the, in the in the works right now yeah, right. and and then john was very strategic in the fact that he was go to market and he was building you know and um but look some of those days at stance were just phenomenal man we yeah we were just we could do no wrong it, it, it was yeah. so fun um so when when john moved over how how, how long after stance like a year two years or it's, i think it was about a year uh, I actually got laid off at uh, Reef um, and, you know, got picked up straight away, which I was, you know... Thank God, huh? Yeah, pr- pretty stoked on um, and got over there and I was, you know, went and had at the SC Cafe with Ryan Kingman and we had a breakfast and uh, he's like, yeah, man, I need someone to come and do international marketing. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, no worries, you know, and um, it was just a cool brand and... Um, got over there, started traveling a lot with the international team and we were setting up stance in Europe. Um, and, you know, it was it was growing so much that I think it, it was about five or six, um, I think we had five or six international countries to about 44. Like, like it, that's how quickly it was just, so we, I was going to Moscow, I was going all over Europe, like Damn. everywhere. Um, and then obviously uh, in Australia, it was, it, in Australia, New Zealand, it was, um, you know, Brazil, everywhere. Everywhere. You, you could not do no, no wrong. The one thing though that, how would I say this in, uh, success hides a lot of exposed areas. Yeah. And, and I saw it a lot just in that business growth from my background at VF and Reef. Um, and I could see a lot of like, just things that we were growing so much that uh, nobody could do anything wrong. Yeah. And not that not that we were people doing things wrong. It just there was so many. There was just I was hard it to created see. complacency. Yeah, and right? it was just like we were doing so many things. Whether it was skew count efficiency, whether it was you know collaborations that had zero return on investment, whether it's 
you know, it, it was just succeeding. It yeah. was growing. It, it had you had the momentum and the and the funds and the revenue to take a lot of risk, and they're taking yeah by more calculated risks yeah. that you know they tied it into. Here's one thing that I, I kind of trip out on, and I don't really, I, I don't think it's bad, but I think sometimes yeah, it's bad. Like John Wilson comes from Oakley, right? Yeah. And he saw you rode for Oakley yeah. and what Oakley did to their building, you know, the fucking basketball court, the this and that, and the they made a compound, right? Yeah. Which is a good thing, but then it's also a bad thing, right? Because yeah. you, your expenditures grow as your business grows, but then you're also like writing checks for shit you shouldn't be writing checks for, right? Yeah, uh, that's that's. Uh... Yeah, that's hundred percent correct. They're printing and, money, man. They're printing yeah. money. They yeah, and, and that's what's a bummer is like you know the stance compound. Like it or not, I mean, a lot of people's money going in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and it, I think it's you know probably backfired, right? Yes, I mean, look at the end of the day. That's a question you guys can ask. Um, who's running it today? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure they'll give you a honest answer, but. Um, yeah, I mean, um, it, it, look, it, for five years, four years there, it was incredible. You yeah. know, it was, um, you know, it just, it, we could not do no wrong. Uh, I was moved around that company. I had more starts in there than you would not, you know, I was uh, from marketing to sales marketing to international to in-store to retail. Like, it was just... Um, you wore a lot of hats and learned a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, and, and I did. I guess that was one thing I, you know, and look, I learned a lot of good things from, you know, John and Jeff. And, uh, you know, I think... Uh, Ryan Kingman was just, um, you, you know, his, his creativity, um, his connections to people yeah. and authentic, influential people was just, you know, like, you know, he probably, uh, you know, he needed the go-to-market person there to kind of do all the dates and gates and the administrative yeah. stuff, but he just, just had a really good knack for um, influence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he was awesome. And then, you know, the success of Stance wasn't the NBA, it wasn't, you know, Foot Lockers, it was action sports. Yeah, it took off sure. in action sports. Absolutely. And, you know, that's where it still is, you know, highly recognized and that's where the influence, and it really goes to show that, that our industry is very influential still. Still. Very. That beach culture, that lifestyle, um, yeah. to have a sock brand that, you know, Nordstrom's is calling you, REI is calling you, T Tilly's and Zoomies. We want it in here. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, that, and that's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in action sports for sure. If yeah. it's done right and you got in the right partnerships and stuff, but it's those other revenue streams that are kind of, you know, helping you do the cool stuff, you know? Like, yeah, it's okay to go sell to some big box. Sure. You know, even though it looks down upon within the industry a lot of times, you know, it's like, oh, you're selling to X, Y, and Z, but it's yeah. like, hey, now we're, we're able to do special events with you or put money in this or do that, you know, or take you on a trip, you know? And it's sometimes that gets it's, misconstrued on like how, you know, the money, the big pie is, you know, where the money comes that's in. That's a great point. I think that when you look at the cost of the product, so Stance's yeah. product price range was around 10 to 18 bucks, right? If it's everywhere in a mall, but positioned and presented well, yeah. it should do well everywhere. Yeah. Because it can. It hasn't, it doesn't need the research of an $850, $900 surfboard. Yeah. It's impulsive. You know, you go into Nordstrom's, they might have bought an outfit and it's going to complement the outfit. You yeah. might go, if you're, a, if you shop at the Buckle, 
yeah. you're going to go over and do it there. Yeah. The Zoomies ratty kid, same deal, right? Yeah. Like, I think... you Very personal, it's flair, like yeah, you said. And, and people that go to the mall probably aren't shopping at all those stores. Yeah. You know, they've probably got their one or two. Um, and a lot of people naturally complain because they would see it elsewhere, but little did they know it probably helped their sales. For Definitely. sure. You know, brand like, awareness. Like Nordstrom's, I never forget one day, Nordstrom's were like, the more you can position the brand in the mall where we're at, we perform better. Yeah. I was like, hey, yeah. hey, what did you Again, say? Again, healthy competition. Like the mall, you know, like brand awareness for them, they don't, they don't have the resources to market like Stan Socks in their stores. They, they depend on the brand to like, to do that. So, yeah. It depends on, on what the product stuff. is. For, for sure. sure. I'm yeah. not saying yeah. it's across the yeah. board. Uh, you can't sell Ferraris in every store, can you? But, um, it, it, it just worked really well, um, and, and I think it was it was a commodity product that was an accessory to what you're wearing. Yeah. Um, but as Laura was talking about, you know, bigger, more, more, bigger. That's a that's the bummer part about business is, you know, that success. You're only as good as you are from what you did from the sales report, right? Sure. And that's the bummer is like, I wish more companies that start off with a great idea, right? And you can do so much with so little, Yeah, you know? Yeah, live within your means. It's kind of like your, that's kind of life 101, you know? Like, hey, you're gonna have, hopefully, you're gonna have a trajectory where you're gonna trajectory and you're gonna make a lot of money but you're also going to keep spending. You can you know, maintain I, I can, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, you can. And, and yeah. The, the, There's only a handful of brands, Stussy, right? Like their, their business model. You know, they've quietly done 50 to $60 million over the last 30 fucking years. Right. You know? And it, and keep it humble. Kept it, yeah, manage it. And it's private. And, you know, when you don't have to answer to yeah. investors. And there's a lot of variables that go into why you have to hit numbers. But when you're on a brand that's just streaking, like, straight up, you know, you know that's unhealthy. You know, We're going to start a business ways. with Nutty. Yeah. <laughs> but... LLC. You know, whatever that number is, 50 million, 100 million, whatever, 10 million, five... If you could sustain that in a healthy level versus going to the next bump up and yeah. being unhealthy and losing money, it's like what's the point of going up in from fifty to seventy five million if you're not yeah. making money? I think I think the one thing too, guys, is every company has a different objective. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And sell and out in a few years or I wanted this brand to be around in thirty yeah. years and be core. There you go. Yeah. And I think it's you know, you know, you guys being reps, you you work for a company that has totally different objectives. And, you know, I think Stance's objective was to get it to a level and, and sell it. Yeah. Um, that was their plan. And that's, a lot of businesses do that. Yeah. Like that's their objective. And, you know, those five original founders wanted to live pretty, which we, I don't blame them, right? Like right. at the end of the day, that was their objective from day one. There was yeah. one space, ride it, ride the get in, as long get as it up, make it look like a pretty Christmas tree and, and move on. Um, now they've had to pivot and, and kind of... Um, you know, re re-strategize their business. And from what I hear, Stance definitely took a couple of steps back, but it's kind of heading in the right place. And you know what, like that, that's being humble, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's uh, probably going back to the drawing board and going, hey, you know, at the end of the day, we've got a great product here that sells well. It's, it's now it's a brand in the marketplace. Yeah. People, people lean on it because it's, um, it's trustworthy, it's proven. Um, so Stance will work itself out, yeah, you know, sure. it just might have a different 
uh, objective than they did from day one. Yeah. You know, but they'll, they'll work it out. It's too, yeah. too strong of a brand. Positioned in a great town, San Clemente, yeah. um, you know, close to the hub up there. Um, and a great just stance in general. The name, the logo, it's pretty yeah. sick. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's, it's what, a staple in, yeah. in almost any store right now, you know, and it, and it will. Like, I mean, there's a lot of categories where there's a winner, you know, like, you know, look at watches and we, we bring up Nixon and, and we had Chad Benina on and it was like, they could do no wrong. They had perfect timing. They just crushed it. And then the market changed and they had yeah. to kind of, yeah. you know, like it happens to sure. a lot of categories and a lot of businesses. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, having done this for so long, you've seen all the brands that come and go and you're just like, fuck, like, you know, sunglasses, right? Oakley. Yeah. Like, for a while there, it was Oakley and Arnett. Right? Yeah. And then Oakley, Arnett, on Zipper. And then, boom, 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 all these... Range. Yeah, yeah. All these brands that start, you know... Yeah. Infiltrating the space. And then some of them go and some of them succeed. But sometimes, like, these these brands that go... They fly too close to the sun. Sure. Right. And they... they fall down the ladder and then they have to right size themselves and that's what's happening with Stance, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think Stance has really any direct competition other than now brands like probably Billabong Quick and Rip and all that, let's do socks. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's take it serious. Um, You know, I think Stance is still, you know, it's probably those other, you know, they're starting new categories now so it's like, I think it's head to toe or head to ankle, or head to toe, sorry. Yeah. Um, You know, so how do they compete now you know, with their hoodies, tees, and caps, yeah. and beanies, and all that stuff. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Stick to socks, people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is, that, you know, you never know until you, you know you try. But it, it's definitely, you know, it's it, it costs a lot of money to invest in, in other categories and, and grow I, business and marketing. I can't remember if Huff did it first or Stance was there. The Bro. Sock, Huff did it. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, I think they, that's all they still do. I, I'm going to give credit to Volcom. You know, there has been, everybody was doing white and black and basic. Volcom were the first ones to do animals and designs and, sure. and like, you know, crisscross cross mis- mix match. Hey, we're going to, we're going to sell you a six pack and not one pair of matches. And, and they were kind of the ones that, you know, really pushed the envelope of doing something funky on socks. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, that's all it takes. It's yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys see it in each store daily. Um, you know, I think and that's the thing too is um, if you think of US Wholesale, right, what was once the megaphone to every brand's voice, then the direct-to-consumer came, right? Yeah. Definitely pivoted and changed. And look, no one's going to tell a story better than yourself, right? It, it's a matter of how do you, how do you uh, treat the businesses now where whether it's the three models, it's direct-to-consumer, Direct to consumer with retail, online, and then obviously US wholesale. Um, and all are important. Extremely important. Yeah. And I think US wholesale also too need to uh, now validate that if there's an emerging brand in their store and they're doing a great job of telling the story themselves, then how do they tap into that? Rather than going, hey man, like I'm losing sales from you. And that's kind of that old mentality you have. Yeah. You know, if I was running a US wholesale and had a big account, and all of my brands in there, I would want to know all they go to market, when they're launching, what assets they have, so that I can get on that bandwagon as well, yeah. and promoting and endorsing at the same time, right? Yeah. Be strategic about it, and I guarantee their probably sales uh, will grow, and they will continue to be a megaphone for the brand, yeah. 
along with the brand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then it's not so schizophrenic. Um, you know, I... I, I uh, perfect example is the JS Garage here, you know, like, um, you know, we have all the products in here and we try to line everything with our athletes on the, on JS's team, you know, you know, Julian, you know, Ryan Callanan, you know, Connor Coffin and so forth, Mikey Wright. Um, if there's a Mikey Wright fan in here or a, you know, Ryan Callanan fan, then we've got his wetsuit as well. You know, we've got his pair of boardies over there. Um, and it's not so much about me worrying about retail around us. This is a destination. You know, you come here because you've done your research on JS. Yeah. You're not coincidentally walking by and going, shit, I'm going to drop 900 bucks on a board. You might do that with a pair of stance socks and a yeah. fanning sandal. Yeah. Absolutely. You're not going to do that on a surfboard. Yeah. You're going to do your homework. You're going to go online. And where are you going to do that homework? JS.com. Not HSS.com. Not Jax.com, right? You yeah. do it from the brand itself. Um, and then that's where all the athletes and all that is so important. Because you don't look at Connor Coffin and go, man, he's surfing so good today. I wonder what bodies he's got on. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, man, that vest looks great. He's surfing fast with that vest on. Yeah. It's the board. <laughs> it's the board. It's the board. It's the, the, the magic slipper. It yeah. is. And that's, it's, the, it's the arrow and the Indian. It is. And that's why our team on the floor is integral, man. They need to do their homework on each model. Yeah. Um, what works in the Northern Hemisphere will be different in the Southern Hemisphere, yeah. different times of the year. You know, we talked about it before, about here having good waves, whereas Australia has great waves. Yeah. Um, you know. And some a little flatter rocker here, right. some a little bit more forward. Yeah. So, you know. Can we go back? So you, you're you at Stance. You're there for how long? Five years. Five years. That's good. Yeah. Long stint. Yeah. No, it was, it was great times at Stance. And, Look, I went home in about the fourth year and my sister was doing the source suppliers in Australia. So it's all custom made private label merchandise. Um, what does that mean? It's basically, uh, we can we work with the same factories as a lot of the big brands that you guys are selling and we can customize product to whether it's a retailer, whether it's your business um, and basically bring their brand to life without them having an internal merchandise department. Yeah. Yeah. So we do custom design, we sample everything, we bulk, bulk produce it, and we ship it all the way to their door. Yeah. So when I went home... We're talking private label. Private label, yeah. yeah. Which is a huge category for specialty retailers. Yeah. For any retailer. Yeah. I mean, and I'm digging... It's, it's the number one brand in their store. Yeah. And it's the number one it margin, as yeah. it should be, margin, yeah. and... It should be like, you know, these retailers, they're, they're a brand, you yeah. know, if they do it right. Some don't and some now I think more and more everybody's doing it because of the, the accessibility of, of private label, you know, and getting out of just printables and sure. getting into other yeah. categories. But, but yeah, it's and, and that's a great point. Like there's just printables yeah. and there's actually a strategic line plan that has yeah. a budget connected to it. It has margins and all that. And that's the route that we're going down. We're basically working with... Uh, multiple customers, diverse customers on what is the budget they have for the season, what is their actual, what are they looking to return, um, how do they want to bring their brand to life. And majority of the companies we work with, their number one source of revenue is not merch. They're super busy doing other stuff. They're super busy whether it's bottling beer, whether it's a, you know, a tourist destination, whether it's online gaming. Yeah. And they kind of, they're, they're the ones that come to us and go, we need help. Yeah. And they're the best ones to work with, right? Yeah. The, there's nothing... So you, you work with other... Industries, industries. Oh, yeah. multiple. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, we really don't need to work with action sports because it is a hub of talent. There's so many people that we all know that is a great designer 
is great in supply chain, it's great somewhere that's in our industry that's probably looking to get out. But your guys' expertise and specialty in other markets that don't have those connections and those resources, it's just... They're, they're all systems going on their existing business model. Yeah. And what they've done previously is merchandise has just been like an afterthought. Yeah. So then they, like corporate, they get to the end of the year like, oh, we made this much in merch. We better take that category a little bit serious. Yeah. And that's when they come to us and we sit down and have a really good strategic conversation with them. The great thing about our business, we've got accounts all across America, you know, New York, um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Texas, you know, uh, definitely here on the on the um, west coast, Hawaii. Yeah. Um, so you really get you to get the insides in a lot of businesses how they work, and it makes me really appreciate my background in action sports. You know, because I think it's just oozing with talent. Um, so many creative people that work in this industry that you know the sky's the limit if you were to go outside. Uh, you'd just be walking away from that lifestyle a little bit, right? Yeah. And that's so super important to so many people. Um, so. You know, but um, yeah, if it doesn't work in the action sport, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of green green grass out there. Yeah, and and again, if you know your your craft or you have the the relationships and you have you know that that sense of you know multiplying what you're doing here in other areas, you're, it's a win win. Sure. Yeah. So your sister. Yeah, my sister, uh, so um, Simone, um, she worked at Billabong for a long time um, back in the day in Australia and did a lot of, um, there was two companies, Billabong and there was Thin Air. And Thin Air basically had the contract at Billabong and they did all of the accessories. But uh, he had a great supply chain network and this is in the 90s. This is when Billabong started doing wetsuits and board bags and jackets and all that kind of rad stuff. That was all done through a company called Thin Air. And my sister worked at Thin Air and uh, basically got connected with a lot of supply chain and, you know, it was like, hey, you know, and then obviously she got out of thin air when Billabong had bought it back and started a headwear company in Australia called uh, Fit Technologies. Then it went from Fit Technologies um, to source suppliers and I give respect to my sister Simone did it with another girl, Amanda Fitcher. Her husband is Luke Fitcher, used to be a former pro snowboarder. Uh, so they were heavily into the industry. Cool. And from there, they just started doing custom headwear for, you know, companies in Australia, like, um, you know, they did a lot of like Roxy Straw. Uh, they did uh, a lot of brewery companies, like big, you know, Carlton United Breweries, which is like Budweiser. So a lot of their promotional merch. Yeah. Um, small emerging brands like Rhythm, um, Fens in Byron Bay, kind yeah. of those cool, small yeah. Did a lot of their stuff because naturally they didn't have the staff internally to do it. So I went over, when I was at Stance and I was in her showroom, I'm like, hey, this stuff's pretty good. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, we don't make shit. I'll never forget her saying that. I'm like, no, you don't. I'm like, and then this was at the time where I was- What does she mean, you don't make shit? Like crappy shit. Oh, crappy stuff. Yeah, crappy yeah. stuff. Yeah. We don't make shit. Yeah. 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 It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> like, we don't make money. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, that's a good point. No. So uh, she, she was, um, and I was working at Stance doing um, a lot of the uh, uh, strategic accounts. So REI, Tilly, Zoomies, um, Foot Locker, Shop Bop. And I kind of saw that need for private label. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and um, a lot of the conversations too at that time with Stance was they were cutting down the numbers and stuff. So there were some tough conversations to be had and we were very, you know, analyzing retail. And when I was analyzing the retail, I'm seeing a lot of private label. 
And um, so, you know, that's where, you know, and Re- uh, Stance was a very entrepreneur brand. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to give it to John and Jeff and the team. They were definitely uh, pushing people's entrepreneurial internal skills. And you either have it or you don't, right? Yeah. Um, they were definitely uh, embracing that. And, um, you know, I was very transparent with them. Like, hey, you know, I'm doing this uh, stuff on the side, you know, blah, blah. So it started to do really good, you know, um, and we got to get a lot of accounts and, and kind of getting a little business here and there, but it was hard. I was working at Stance and doing that on the side. And then um, I, uh, you know, Stance had kind of, my time was done at Stance, you know, I enjoyed my time there. Unfortunately, uh, there was a lot of layoffs there and I was a casualty. Um, but honestly, it was it was also a breath of fresh air as well because I could sink into this and yeah. give it my you had some, Without having something else going, you already had something else going. Not yeah. knowing your, your job was going to be terminated, but sure. you never know. Yeah, and I, I could see it coming. And I thought it was the best thing for the brand. They just had yeah. too many positions there that weren't really needed. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you know, it was just time to... So full-time you know, focus on... Full-time on, focus on the source suppliers and, uh, you know, working out of uh, my house and have an office over there off Oceanside Boulevard and, and what it was great. We got it up and running and, yeah. you know, like got some really good accounts and, um, you know, like the revenue was great. Then the life, you know, we, we my sister and I started to, imp, you know, we were using uh, third-party vendors for design and, uh, you know, a couple of part-time administration. Um, and, you know, long story short, where it's at today, we have, you know, eight full-time employees, um, you know, we've got two offices and we've got a strategy in our business to see us grow in multiple channels. And I'm really, really impressed how we've done that off our own knowledge and more just talking to the right people, you yeah. know? Um, Crazy. Yeah. So did, does your sister serve? No. No. <laughs> but she, she was... She's a part of the culture. She lives on the, on the you know, pretty much on the beach at Cabarita. It, you know, her son, Micah, is an aspiring young professional surfer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been a part of her life. She knows everything about it. Yeah. Uh, I think what's great about my sister is she doesn't get caught up in the bullshit in the industry and she's yeah. been great with me on that. Like, she's like, look, it, it can be like, um, just, you got to just walk away from it, you know, because there's a lot of egos, let's be honest. We work with a lot For of sure. people that are egotistical. Like, Definitely. And, uh, arrogant. See how big my head is? My nose. I'm sorry. Either way. Uh, no, but like, it's kind of crazy how your sister you know, was in the industry working like, yeah, dating or married to one of the most iconic surfers in our culture. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, finding out she's working for Billabong Thin Air and then starting her own gig. Yeah. Yeah. And then here you are. You probably never even talked to her about doing this. No, not Ever. really. I, I, I was so drinking the Kool-Aid, the stance. Yeah. Oh, dude, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Don't worry about that. Yeah. And with brief, and I think just that's who I am in general. I'm kind yeah. of all in, right? And well, yeah. you have to be passionate about, you gotta, passionate about yeah. the brand you work for. 100%. And, you know, it used to eat me at brief that we couldn't make a decent pair of fucking board shorts. Yeah. Like, I think Quicksilver doing the diamond dobby that rashed every bit of your inside your leg off or, you know, but, but I'm like, why can't we make a decent pair of board shorts? Yeah. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, because I was, you know, really, I shouldn't have cared. Yeah. You know, um, but I did. I cared greatly and, and um, you know, so it's the same with our source suppliers business. You know, it, it, it's, it's a lot of it's relational. My sister worked with some amazing guys and that's a segue into JS. 
is you know mm. Shannon North, who's the he was the former uh, president Billabong. of Billabong and yep. Ford Riders. Yeah. Shannon and I went to school together, and Shannon worked with my sister, my middle sister, at the first Billabong store in Burley Cordon Drive. Wow. Uh, and what a I mean what a success story that guy is, and you know Craig Pitches, another guy who was one of the head of sales or reps like you guys at Billabong, and 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 Craig is now you know one of the owners in at JS. Wow. Um, so yeah, Shannon and, and Craig came to me um, while I was doing the source and uh, asked me about JS and you know at the end of the day, surfboards is currency, right? Like yeah. you know I still love surfing and I was surfing a lot and still trying to surf at a level which was pleasing and so forth, right? That I still wanted to be better at it and and, and more so riding equipment that made me surf better. Yeah. And uh, had you ridden JSs before? Never. Oh. Yeah. And, and we talk about like I mean. I don't want to say how many boards I've had in my lifetime because it's probably way too many. But, <laughs> but how excited I am today to get a new board as I, I was when I was 12 or 15 or 20. You know, like the, it's... The stoke doesn't it, stop. No. The, yeah. the, and it's real. And it's, yeah. yeah. It's real stoke. And, and you think, you feel and you're like, this is going to be that. You're looking for the magic board. And you're, you're in, 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 sometimes you get them, sometimes you're not. And, you, you know, you're you're not discouraged. You're just like, okay, cool, that one didn't work. I'm gonna go, you know, reinvest. Yeah. Like you're investing in your hobby, your passion, and your just overall life stoke. You know, yeah. like how stoked you are getting in and out of the water and catching a couple waves. And like I, I just did a trip to Tavarua and um, bastard. Yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing. And with a bunch of people I didn't know, um, but I took um, a six four right. And I'm like, dude, that's a mountain. I haven't ridden a board that big in years. You know. Yeah. And everyone now is riding like, I think my shortboard is 5'6". Yeah. And when I was on tour, it was 5'11". Yeah. You know, like just in a whole world of like small, stubby little, and I think there's the waves here. And honestly, there was one day at a cloud break and I got on the 6'4". And it just, it, it, I felt like I was 28 again. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? I just felt like I was riding. The drive, the knifeiness, oh. the, the stability, the and everything. And something I hadn't felt in such a long time. And I remember ringing... You know Paul Stacy, who is our global GM at, 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 at JS, and he ordered. He, you know, he he got the board made for me, and I was like, couldn't thank him enough. I was yeah. like, mate, they, on the six four, six four yeah. pintail. Uh, forget me not. The waves were firing, and it just like it was a feeling I hadn't had in a long time. So it was yeah. real stoke. Um, you know, like surfing. Whatever. You know, still surfing. I'm still me. It was Heath Walker. Yeah. It wasn't great, yeah. but it's still like. For me, it, yeah. it felt amazing, and they're the kind of things, as I mentioned, you're not going to get that. And this is in no disrespect for putting on a wetsuit or putting on a pair of sandals or a pair of board shorts. Yeah, being a surfer, and you know, not only the cliche only surfer knows the feeling, but that was the day it made me really appreciate surfboards. Yeah, you know, I was just like, God damn, these things are amazing. Yeah, they really will make or break your trip. You know, and yeah. and um. This, it's probably one of the best feelings I've had. You know, my son was with yeah. me on that trip. Um, so just, you know, now, like, my overview, of we're going into our third year of doing JS and obviously uh, fifth year of doing source suppliers. It's just the importance of this is my culture, this is my lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love it. You know, I live to surf, I work to surf. Yeah. Um, I want to get my children in on it. You know, whether it's surf and fishing or yeah. just that culture in general. Um, lifestyle again it's in, in you know now that you've been infused in, in Southern California lifestyle it's like yeah it's huge surf culture yeah but it's also a huge snowboard wake surf mountain bike I mean everything we yeah fishing like we live in truly like such a blessed area where you 
you could be good at a lot of things, you know? We have accessibility to it. Well, that's it, too. You know, accessibility, but it's like, oh, the waves aren't going off. Like, there's 10 other cool things to go do. Sure. If you're you're passionate about it, into it. And you know what? A lot of people say to me, like, oh, man, like, how how come you don't live in Australia? What are you doing living here in California? And I'm like, well, you're only going to see the best things of Australia, right? That's all you see is the perfect days at Kira and all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, Australia is amazing. I'm just fortunate I have the best of both worlds. Like, living here... Uh, in North County, San Diego, is an absolute blessing. You yeah. know, my wife and I, and our circle of friends, our yeah. lifestyle, and and uh, hence why I'm still here. Yeah. You know, and don't get me wrong, I love to go home and have a, you know, a, it's your home. It's home. Yeah. yeah. Australia gonna... will always be there, and I just would love to do six months in both. Yeah. You know. But how stoked! I mean, what a what a great you know you you spent your 15 years in kind of a corporate setting, yeah. you know, with, with Reef and, and Stance and learning that side. And now you're kind of back down to, like you said, like the authenticity, you're, you're, you, it's what you guys want to do, full entrepreneur, like mm-hmm. your sister's this, and this is a small, you know, smaller, you know, program than having to answer to a bunch of corporate people. Yeah, and look, it, it, you're right. And, and it takes moments like that to step back and go, what did I learn? Who were the good advisors and who were the bad ones? You know, and not, not that you focus on anyone bad and maybe they just gave you ill-informed information, but the good people that really spent the time with you, that sat you down and guided you. And I've got a lot of great people that did that with me in my career and I appreciate them that took the time to do it. And when I see them, I'll shake their hand again, buy them a beer, you know, and yeah. give them a high five and uh, just be very thankful and, you know, like... I think the other thing too is uh, we live in a world where people just, we human beings love drama and we yeah. shouldn't be bringing that into the workplace. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like leave that at home. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, and everyone is opinionated. Everyone has their feelings hurt. Like, yeah, I think the, the Ricky Gervais thing said, you got one in 14 million chances being born on this earth <laughs> and you're going to complain about the way someone looked at you yeah. or what somebody said. It's kind of like harden the fuck up, yeah. go to work, do your job, enjoy your life. Instead yeah. of being glass half empty, be it half full. Yeah. Because yeah. it's too easy to be pissed off yeah. and to be negative. And you've only got to, you know, there's so many people that, you know, when their number's up, it's up, right? Like, you know, or, you know, people who have unfortunate yeah. disease or, or something happens there that destroys their life, right? And yet we, it's too easy for us to complain. It's too yeah. easy for us to be... Uh, infatuated with drama, just eliminate it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're 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 living the American dream that you've only heard of, like up until you came here. You know, like yeah. you always say, oh, America. You know, you know, obviously it's the the beacon and it was the the, the place of, you know, living your dream, yeah. opportunity, or yeah. whatever. And and you're a perfect example of somebody that that's just not given. Like you got to earn it. You got to put your time in. You got to totally. work hard. And you, you gotta you gotta put the, the politics and the BS aside and yeah. and you gotta buckle down and like and, and a lot of people, you know, that are born and raised here and, and you know, and vice versa, it's it, it, it could go both ways, you know. Yeah. Like you could you could get one side of the coin where it's like you are, you know, you're seeing the the glass, you know, half full. And yeah. then you get the other side of the coin where it's like you're not we're living in the same area. We have the same opportunity. What? What? What's wrong? Why are you seeing what I'm seeing? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because, like, you know, the 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 podcast introduces us to people like you that, you know, you're you're in a position you are now because of what you've done 
over the years, you know, and the opportunities that were given to you, but, you know, you did it on your own, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you took the time to it's figure it out and, and wear different hats yeah. and, you know? Yeah, yeah and, and I'd say doing it, you know, yeah. like, uh, still taking risk and doing it. Because, yeah. I mean, if people can see this compound that you're in in Oceanside, like, <laughs> yeah. it's fucking impressive. Yeah, yeah. it's really fucking nice spot. and and what you were saying earlier about what you're doing you know tell us about that like what you're improving on the compound yeah so we're, we're you know JS I always visioned years ago I went to Chengdu and I saw Deus do the killer uh, you know Deus is a brand I think is just so creative you know yeah. like I don't know if anyone knows but Deus the, the, the creators from Deus started 100% Mambo back in the day in Australia super creative brand you know, the guy that started Deus is the same guy yeah and, and then went into to Deus and then we're in Chengdu and I'm like, how good is this brand? There's guys glassing and shaping surfboards out the back, sanding, building motorbikes. I'm in a bar here having a cocktail, about to have a feed yeah. and go for a surf. It's a compound. Like, it's a compound. Yeah. And I, you know, it nearly broke me wallet, but I was in there a couple <laughs> of days and I was like, I loved it. Yeah. And then obviously Proof Lab up in San Fran. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, like those guys, like they just... They've incorporated their lifestyle into their work life. Yeah. And, you know, JS is a brand that just oozes, like, performance and premium. And um, But we've made it a destination, you know? Like, like if you're spending $900, you've probably talked about it with your wife or your better half. Yeah. And you're going to come in and, well, we want to make sure that he or she has comfort sitting in the lounge and, you know, watching the surfing on TV. And not only to that, whether it's uh, baseball, football, or, you know, any of the sports here, the, the basketball and so forth. At your clubhouse. Clubhouse. We yeah. probably won't have the cricket on here yeah. because no one will come. But, yeah. but the American sports and lifestyle. And then, you know, Lauren Tipton, who's our building manager, um, you know, legendary guy, came from Stance as well. He's going to build our pizza oven out the back. Um, so we're basically putting in a pizza oven and a uh, beer and wine <coughs> uh, bar as well. And going to have, the, you know, we have beautiful afternoons here. So thinking of live music and... You know, you can have private events here. Yeah. Um, so, we, yeah, we're really going to catapult that lifestyle into the JS Garage compound. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a destination. We're, yeah. we're lucky that we're part of the Tremont Collective here. Yeah. Um, you know, hats off to some of the crew there from Cultivate and Shoots. Uh, shoots. Done, shoots Beer, done an incredible job. Yeah. You know, Duran Bar is yeah. a part of it and all that. Um, Shane Man Newson, uh, yeah. legend. Um, so, Red yeah. Tide. Yeah, red tide. So, so yeah, and, and that's if I'm going to be situated in one place a lot away from my family and away from what I love doing, then I want to make sure that uh, it's a great spot to be and the people that are working here are coming to work every day and it's not a drag. You know, yeah. they're like, dude, we're stoked. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've still got some work to do, but um, it's exciting and what's ahead. I know this is a lot to ask, but can we build out a little... Uh Cubby hole for, for late night with Chalky to do podcasts. We got right here. Hey, you guys, if you ever want to come in and get out of here, you're more than welcome yeah. to come in. If you're doing your San Diego interviews, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, the business model, and and again, in our industry, it, it's, you know, authenticity and it's it's community and it's having, you know, it's relationships. It's, I mean, it, that parlays to others, but like this concept you know that you're seeing at like proof labs or this or you know like a lot you know huntington service for has a coffee shop you know having a place to go and it's relationship, spend times and hang out and and, and, and people like tradition they like sure. routine and they like to come you know so 
if it's a good atmosphere and you get to come check out the hottest model or some sports and stuff, it's just, yeah. again, it's, it's what you would want. It's yeah. like, hey, this isn't going to drive like probably, you know, the crazy, we're going to see a return on invest. This is what you want if you're going to be here. It's Honey, like, but, yeah. but, it, but it works. It's like Field of Dreams, right? <laughs> yeah. But it I mean, works. if you build it, they will come. And, and, and the other thing too is like our demo fleets, like we understand the cost of a surfboard. So we have a killer demo fleet here with all, and it started, you know, credit to surf ride and camp shred yeah but we have all our demo boards in here that you can come and ride them for a couple of days so you know that when you're making that substantial purchase you've made the right decision yeah um and we you know we've got a brand new fleet of boards there that anyone can come in and even you know oceanside now has become such a tourist destination with the pier up there and the hotels that you're flying to here and you don't want to take your surfboard because it's worth yeah. 150 bucks to check it in on a plane yeah you can you can uh take one of the demos and surf it for three days at like 50 bucks yeah so you're getting the best of both worlds it's convenient yeah um and it's a destination yeah. so and oceanside is just getting prettier and prettier it yeah. is yeah. you know and you know uh, the Oceanside is, you know, what was once a very gritty town. It still is gritty, yeah. and I love that about Oceanside. Um, big board building capital here. There's a lot of people that build build uh, handcrafted surfboards here and glass yeah. and manufacturing and all that. And, you know, first to say that we, we import all of our surfboards from Australia uh, and from our Thailand location as well. So, you know, but we have a lot of respect for the people here that build and create yeah. jobs for the industry and the community here for yeah. people that... You know, because, um, you know, they've done the hard yards here and, and um, there's a lot of great surfboards built here in Oceanside. But as a customer and a consumer, you have a choice. Yeah. You know, you have a choice of what you want to ride. A Gary Linden legend is across the street from us and yeah. he's been an absolute heaven sent. Yeah. Great guy, you know, legend, big wave surfer at Totos and all that kind of stuff and just always coming over and, and chatting with us and stories and stuff. So... Um, and it's not easy to just be a foreign brand and come and just jump into a town that's obviously yeah. been, you know, respectfully, you know, uh, managed and uniformed the kind of surf culture here. So yeah. we've had to earn our stripes and still earning our stripes of being here. Yeah, yeah and, and I mean, the, the marketplace on, on hard goods and surfboards has changed over the course. You sure. know, like it's, you know, it used to not be an, as big of an international brand business, you know, outside of maybe in the 90s, 80s and 90s, maybe Rusty and Almeric, and then a couple others popped up and went away. But like in the last 20 years, you know, with, you know, just the way, you know, the, the industry has progressed and the board building has progressed, you, you, you know, to have this set up, you, you got to fill a container, you know, a container or two. And, and you know, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a business. It's not a backyard brand that a lot of the, like no, you mentioned no. a lot of the others that are doing custom and, and it's a huge undertaking. And we've got big objectives to grow, you know, 40% this year in a, uh, in a U.S. economy that's having enough challenges as it, as it is. Yeah. Some very, uh, some headwinds and, we, you know, as far as the stimulus packages, I think, they're just a, they're a short term, yeah. you yeah. know, success that really will, it's going to bite, you're just kicking the can down the road, to be yeah. honest. So we want to make sure that the brand can be positioned nationally across the USA in key retailers that employ, that invest into the surfboard space, yeah. that employ real surfers to work on the floor and that have an appetite for our brand, but more importantly, work in a respectful relationship yeah. um, and I'll be honest I'm done being dictated to from US wholesalers that 
um, you know, let's be honest, we've all had to work with them, that they're a challenge to work with. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, we are building products that change people's lives. Yeah. You either have the choice to buy them or not, period. Yeah. Right? Like I understand some of the retailers, um, you know, in, in the older, you know, pre-pandemic, definitely a little bit like, you know, when they have eight or nine stores, oh my God, that's a big account. You better make sure that you're there, you know, servicing it and doing yeah. it correctly, which absolutely you should be doing. But there's also got to be a level of respect and communication. And um, I just don't have time for people that speak to me in a way that I wouldn't speak to them. Yeah. And that's just how it is. And I don't think anybody should be spoken down to or disrespected, uh, especially when you're providing a product that's changing people's lives. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a two-way street, and, and and there's there's room for everybody to succeed. Whether it's a you know a you know flagship store totally. or a corporate or direct, you know you just you know you, you gotta present your brand or your product to whoever's interested, and, and make sure if it's a partnership that they're successful in the best way you can support them. You sure. know, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But there's no re- no reason to like talk bad or down because that's just it, that's all nothing. You know? nah. but yeah. like. And competition is healthy. Competition, yeah. no one wants to be complacent. No. You know, competition is healthy and, and, you know, like the surfboard, there's a lot of fantastic yeah. uh, board builders here in the United States. You yeah. know, I look at Sharpeye, you know, who's now, I mean, Sharpeye's been around forever. Forever. You know, and yeah. he's finally now, like, having that taste Stay in the sun. of the sweet peach. Yeah. And good for him. Yeah. You know, like, like congratulations, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and he deserves it. You know, Timmy Patterson as well. well with I mean, Timmy, Timmy's been around forever. Ever. Yeah. Forever. And now he's got his resurgence and, and, yeah. and putting out, I mean, just look. look yeah. Yeah. So it's like, and, and I think even like when I go back to Australia and I see American boards in our country, I'm, I'm also like, cool, congrats. You know, because yeah. once again, that customer has a choice of what board they're going to buy. Yeah. If you, I mean, you look at, and I, I love the car analogy because it's like, you got all these exotic cars from all over the world, you know, and there's different price points and there's different models and stuff. And, you know, ultimately, yeah, I, I bought this brand because of the surfer or I want, you know, because I'm just a fan or the shaper or the, you know, whatever it may be how you identify with. But there's room, you know, for everybody if you're putting out, you know, good product and there's healthy competition, you know? Like yeah. The, it's all about product. It's all about product. Product yeah. is king. Product yeah. is king. And how you conduct marketing in business, that that's what makes it yeah. stand out. I think that's a really good point. Is you hear that one? That's a really good point because our industry has been, been extremely guilty of putting products to market that haven't been R&D. We are very guilty of like, because we're meeting timelines and calendars and go to market, like get it done. Go like, well, does yeah. it work? Doesn't matter, get it in there. Yeah. Maybe not so more now, but definitely in the mid, you know, 2010 oh, yeah. era, there was a lot of faulty product yeah. that I thought just got in the market. And that actually was a detriment to our industry a lot. Um, you know, a lot of products that had a high price point that would, didn't work yeah just didn't work like yeah. you can't buy a car that doesn't work you could die you, yeah. you know what I mean like so I think going post pandemic if you're not making exceptional product you'll fail yeah and again there's business 101 and it's customer service and it's having a good atmosphere and a good brand and, and there's a lot of things that surround it but like Lynn said it's you know whatever you're putting out the product's got to be it's got to be valued. It's got to be respected, and you got to want it, and it's got to totally. work. And you know, 
like, yeah, there's every category is challenging. Yeah, yeah. You know, and when you're in a high tech, high performance, expensive board making category, it's, you got to have a model. There's, look at all of us, you know? Yeah. Different Different shapes, different ability, different things. And like what board, your dream board is not even close to what my dream board versus his. So you factor in that and it's like, wow, you know? Yeah. There's a lot going on, on, on what, uh, you know, how to appeal to the masses when you're a board builder. Yeah. Yeah. What is your daily driver? What's your go-to? It's a good point. I mean, we ride so many boards in here that I get confused (laughs) myself. I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm riding the sub zero. Um, and in the small fun summary days, um, we have it in the Hi-Pi 2.0 or you can get it in the PU. Um, and they're just really, really good small wave boards. There's a, there's a few here. There's the, the, the Zero, the Sub-Zero, uh, the Bullseye, which is uh, Oki's models is the Raging Bull and the Bullseye. And the, kind of brilliant when you think about it, but uh, when he used to come for the US Open years ago, he only wanted to have two boards. And they were the two boards he would ride in one foot to, you know, wow. six feet. Yeah. And when you think about the traveling surfer too that goes, it might not be the best surfer in the world, but they love their annual trip to say Costa Rica or mainland Mex or whatever. They're not going to be out at Porto at 10 feet, yeah. but they're just surfing the points or just having fun. That's a really good model that, that I recommend will work from, you know, one foot to six feet. Yeah. And it's two boards in a single cover, bam, you're off and running. Yeah. Um, because it can be confusing I'm not going to lie like we do a lot of models that work for many different shapes and sizes Yeah. we do the easy rider which for the like you know 35 plus so you pass your expiry date as far as level of fitness Yeah. Um, but sharp mind still and kind of bum when you bog or catch a rail you know because you still want to rip Yeah. so the easy rider um, facilitates you know more foam in the chest um, more buoyancy, yeah. you know, but you can still turn it and knife it in a high point. Is that crazy to think back at the equipment that you used to ride? The blades that you used to ride? Blades. Yeah. So you call it 511 Heaven. <laughs> and I was starting to think back and it was like, I remember even like 510, you're like, ooh, that's a bit small. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like my Japan, bananas. like my Japan, like small wayboard or, or, you know, Argentina or wherever, was like a five nine five ten, and I thought like I was so scared to go from five ten to five nine. Yeah. And then when I did, I'm like, whether it was the way the the rocker was set under my feet because I'm going shorter or the flatter whatever, the wider tail block, I just felt like the board was so much more responsive and alive. And I'm like, I think I could ride this in over two foot. Yeah. And then I started pushing it to like head high and then overhead and then you know riding it out at like lowers which is way more high perform i'm like holy crap but it just it, it was a weird transition going into board short like so boards. it was so weird yeah like yeah and now it's Those like were, you know most surfers back you know i'm, ta- I'm talking you know 20 years ago mm-hmm. you had one or two you had your short board and then you're maybe your step up or you had your you know your now it's like you have a retro you have a fish you have a step up you have you know you're you're having a quiver, sure. you know, of boards, which is great for the board builder because it pushes them to be, you know, you know, you know, diverse. Un- yeah, diverse and yeah. have you know conditions and all these I think variables. This, the, you mentioned that too, Jay, twenty years ago, and I look at surfing twenty years ago versus twenty years ago, talking twenty years before that. Oh, it's right, and there was definitely a massive difference, say from seventy six to ninety six, but I think from ninety six to today. 
like if I look back at that era and we're talking about the Margot era and Frankie Oberholzer yeah. and, and you know even young Kelly and Andy and and if I look at say Ethan Ewing he's surfing like that era a little yeah. bit yeah. like he's not doing any airs and maybe he is but I, I'm not seeing it but it's just rail to rail transition it's so precise and it's so pretty to watch and don't get me wrong I think Gabriel Medina is the most aggressive surfer on the planet and to watch him is just like a superhero yeah, so but there's something about finesse in say our era where um, yeah that, that the longer equipment in perfect waves that, that warranted it you know like it's yeah. still a blessing to watch and not to take anything away from say PT and Rabbit or Michael Thompson and stuff yeah. I just didn't, don't think they were advanced in equipment you know yeah. they were still running single fins at back door and you yeah. know which you know let's be honest they MR they were yeah if those guys were on oh, better they, equipment they, they, yeah. they would have been the, the I mean they were the best at their era you know and, sure. and, and, and you just mentioned you know Ethan and whether it's Italo or, or uh, you know um, Gabriel Gabriel like dude I mean you know Philippe I mean what these guys are doing Philippe's, on a way Philippe's precision and you know the way he can do a rail carb into it, it just his technique is just, you know, it would be scary if he had the same building as his Gabriel. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, he's a fighting whippet. Let's be honest. He's yeah. thin. He uses every bit of power that I've ever seen in anyone. Like, because he's a very light kid. Yeah. But he's so talented and he just works. He works I so mean, hard at it. You look at Machado and you're like, yeah. you know, he was... A, a really light thin width but but you know as far as power speed power flow you know like that guy yeah. would throw 30 foot you know fans out the back you're like wait that guy's 150 pounds wet you know like yeah. he's throwing, you know but it, that's technique and, and, yeah, Rob, and was speed power. Rob was fantastic but um, he's still yeah he's still. I know right that guy's still the best but um yeah, I mean, we just, we, we love, I mean, we, that's why we do this podcast, we love surfing, and, yeah. and um, we love talking to people, you know, like yourselves that channeled their way through through their careers and life and got to this point, and, and your journey's incredible. We're Thanks, man. Here. Thanks, guys. I mean, it's super uh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. You've created a, a s- amazing legacy, yeah. you know? Yeah, I follow you, and I'm, this is the first time I've set foot in this place, because I deal with, you know, retailer Newport North, and, sure. you know, I checked out, and I, I saw, I'm like, wow, that looks like a really... It's a bitchin' place. Bitchin' place. Yeah. I didn't realize it was this big. Yeah. And I didn't realize the other memory boards, and when, I was like, when will you guys, job. <laughs> when will you guys complete the So, we're naturally going through the city of Oceanside and all the permitting, um, so, look, if we can have it open by January, then we're winning, you know? Yeah. Um, but look, everything's in motion. We've already done all the designs, handed in the design plans with the city. What are you working with ABC on the liquor licensing, um, you know, permitting and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we're in a big lot here where it's residential, yeah. residential at the back and retail. So um, just, we just want to make sure we do it all to code. Yeah. yeah. And that everyone is, you know, that, you know, America's a liability um, haven, right? Like yeah. insurance and all that. So last thing we want is something terrible to go wrong and some unfortunate thing happens and um, so we just want to be covered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's the way it, it's done and yeah, it's costly, but it's, it's, it's for a reason. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, sure. yeah, we're not, we're not in Bali building up, uh, you know, something <laughs> and flipping yeah. in a wow. new no, building. No. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what's a just, yeah. just ask for Zal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, but Ted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, this is, uh, I mean, you guys got a lot, a lot of good things happening here, which is great. Yeah, and look, let's hope we can see more of these come up, like, you know, like... Up and down the coast. And, yeah, yeah, and it should be spacious. It should, you know, whether you don't buy anything in here, but you walk out with a really good positive memory, then that, I'm winning, you know. Yeah. We are winning, I don't say I, it's, it's always about us. Um, and that's the thing, you know, if somebody has a really good experience here, they'll come back. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, shoot. I know. Dude. Two hours and 31 minutes later. Sick, lads. You know, just shooting the shit, you know. Yeah. That was exciting. I'm really, I, you know, thanks to you guys. And there's definitely a need and a voice for the hardworking people in the surf industry. And yeah. it's not all kosher. No. And um, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of drama and political and success and it yeah. comes with it. And I think just to talk about it openly. And, and I think one thing, there's a lot of surf fans that work in the industry today there's yeah. a lot of killer reps out there there's a lot of people in the um that work in the brands that are jonesing for when the contest is on or for sure you know and 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 i think for you guys to be talking about it and, and for people to be listening is, yeah. is rad yeah we, we just want to celebrate our industry and surf and, and stuff but yeah we you know when the the contest is starting i mean we're glued to our phones yeah. i'm up at freaking 12 as long as i could stay awake and some of those like yeah. i know jay bay's gonna be tough because it's gonna be starting late yeah, right? uh, but uh yeah i mean it, it just again this format is just great to you know sure. when you know social media is just clickbait and 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 you know marketing and quick blah 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 and this is just telling people's like yeah. stories and, and the backbone of, of our industry. It's fun for us. We're learning a lot and you know, our listeners, peers, colleagues, they chime in and you know, will text us and be like, dude, that fucking story was sick. Yeah. And you're just like, really? You liked it? And like, or you know, one of your close mates be like, fuck, I didn't know, you, you know, you're going to yeah. get like, you, you know, something, we know a lot of people, we think we know people well, and then all sure. of a sudden we have a conversation, we're like, yeah. fuck, I didn't know you did that, you know? Yeah. I didn't know that happened, and, you know, it, it's just, it's just good to tell people's journeys and yeah. stories, because there's no one way to win in life, except, you know, hard work, be, yeah. yeah, be successful, be cool, hard, work hard, and, 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 and create opportunity for yourself, yeah. you know, and, and those around you. I think too, and you're just not going to win them all, you no. know? And be okay with it. Yeah. Like, just, uh, you know, like, I think uh, coming from our professional serving background, we're competitors naturally. Fuck. And I fucking hate losing. Yeah. But um, taking a good loss here and there is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just makes the wins that much Learn sweeter. From it. Yeah. And learning from not just mistakes, but just like losses. Yeah. Right? And, and not taking it personally and seeing what, what you did wrong or what, what they did wrong and yeah. learn from it. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, well boys, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. amazing. Like a legend. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it and wish you guys all the best. And uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, we can't wait till uh, the, the pizza oven and the bars open. Oh, yeah. We're going to be here. I'm going to have to get you guys a room and stay down. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, th- thanks, Heath Nutty Walker. Yeah. JS Industries and Sauce. Sauce Suppliers. Beautiful. Peace. Peace. Bonsai Bowls, hands down the best bowls, period. Seven locations, two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls, go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill, clean, healthy Mexican food 
Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams, for our awesome artwork, and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.